Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of the About to Review podcast. You can follow the podcast on all forms of social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at About to Review. Make sure to subscribe on your podcast platform of choice, be that Apple Podcasts, Blueberry, Google Play. Uh, I am on Alexa. I finally got sent a video. Uh, by the time this nice. airs, uh, I will put up the video. <laughs> One of the listeners, uh, she took a video of her talking to her Alexa, asking it to play about to review, and it worked. Beautiful. So that also means I'm on TuneIn uh, for Alexa. But yeah, anywhere you can find podcasts. You can also listen to the show on abouttoreview.com. Uh, stream the episodes there with full show notes. If you go to abouttoreview.threadless.com, you can buy a t-shirt, a bunch of other stuff, a mug. Which I didn't bring my mug. <sighs> Rude. <laughs> we can work on that next time. Okay. Uh, you can also go to youtube.com slash abouttoreview.com. Uh, there were some great interviews that dropped last week with Felicia Rashad and Peter Atencio. There's one coming up this week with Landry Q. Walker, whose new book, Justice League, The Ultimate Guide from DK, that will be dropping on Friday. He is a great guy. We talked all about comic books. This guy is a lifelong comic book fan, so that was really great. Uh, trying to think. Yep. YouTube, Threadless, all of the things. On today's episode, <laughs> I am joined, as I have described him before, El Presidente, oh, El Jefe, okay. <laughs> Mike Ward of Should I See It? I'm going to sip this while you continue. <laughs> Should I See It.net? Well, I go through all of his accolades. I have a scroll. Come uh, on. The trumpeters were here when he walked in. Yes. Thank you for fixing that. That was great. I, that, I'm, I was teary. That <laughs> good, was nice. Thank good. you. Uh, so welcome back to the show, Mike Ward. <laughs> Thank you. It's it's an honor and a, and a privilege to be invited back. Uh, of course. Uh, this episode is is going to be packed. Uh, we are in the middle of award season, both locally and nationally. Yep. Uh, right before Mike and I started recording, his Twitter alerts were going crazy because so many cities were dropping. So many cities that have critic societies were dropping their nominations. So in today's episode... We're going to be talking about six movies that are definitely in consideration for a lot of categories coming up. So this is basically a little preamble, mm -hmm. uh, not preamble. That is not the right word. Uh, preview or preview. A, there we go. Sheesh. A look, a glimpse at some of yeah. the hopefuls this Oscar season. Exactly. So, cause I know a lot of my listeners, you know, they will kind of hit me up and send me a private message and be like, so what should I really be seeing? So this episode is definitely going to be chock full of that we're going to be talking about good time with robert pattison i tanya with margot roby lady bird with sorry sorry whatever her name is did Dr you not watch snl no oh she did a whole song about how to say her name oh really sersha 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 ronan okay sersha ronan <laughs> go with that uh the post starring the one and only meryl streep the shape of water guillermo del toro's new feature uh the florida project with Willem Dafoe and a bunch of other unknowns because nobody else in there has been in anything except for uh, Caleb Landry Jones, who has the best agent in the business <laughs> right now. It's uh, the year of Caleb Landry Jones. Yeah. And then also in the middle of all of that, uh, and I actually can say it now, we have not been able to, it has been like Voldemort mm -hmm. uh, for the past week or so. The movie that shall not be named. Yeah, but I can actually talk about this because by, you, by the time you're listening to this, yeah, there will already be a review. So we get to see... Star Wars, The Last Jedi. Yes. Uh, 
And so, unfortunately, because when we are recording, it is Sunday, we don't get to see it quite yet. So, Tim, Hall of the People's Critic, will be Skyping in. We'll do a little rundown of that. In the uh, theater while the movie's happening? <laughs> right, yeah. Outstanding! Okay, of all the times that people have been like, we have night vision cameras, we'll catch you if you... <laughs> Boy, I have never seen anybody with night vision camera. Like, SEAL Team 6 is not in the theater. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you, there was somebody at Ferdinand... Which uh-huh. I saw yesterday, right. Saturday, uh, the whatever day that was, <laughs> the, before it started, because mm-hmm. there was a little uh, glitch with the the movie starting. Okay, somebody walked. One of the security folks for Fox walked in, and he had the thing. I'm, you can see my hands, right? He had <laughs> it. He had the little thing over his eyes, and he's scanning, no going way. left, right. And I just I remember laughing, going, "It's a talking bull movie with John Ferdinand. Cena. What are we doing? What are we? Wow! I guess you can't see me." Oh, oh, there you go. Wrestling and reference. I, I'm every doing. I'm doing the hand in front of the on. face because I actually know that reference. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one of the only. Yeah, wrestling references every time you have me on. There you go. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, so that will be spliced in into the middle of this episode. So yeah, ton of movies, ton of awards. We are going to get right into it right after the theme song. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Okay, so now that we're back from the theme song, <laughs> did your stomach just grumble again? Of course it did. What just happened? You need to feed your guests. No, uh, I'm kidding. You know. I need to come food ready. I have had nothing for the last couple of days but coffee, tea, water, mm-hmm. occasionally yeah. sleep. Occasionally. Because <laughs> uh, we actually, we just got out of a movie today, uh, Sunday morning, which we cannot talk about for another couple of weeks. No, no, we can't. Uh, this is a weird time. Uh, to be a film critic, but it is also an awesome time to be a film critic, especially mm-hmm. with all of the amazing work that Mike and the board of the Seattle Film Critics Society. Yeah, let's 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 give them props because it's yeah, yeah. Um, the Seattle Film Critics Society is is going through its first actual year of awards mm-hmm. uh, of an award season as a film critic society. Mm-hmm. Um, We've done polling in the past informally, just. Right. Uh, but this is where we reached out to to PR firms and studios and and different publicity houses and said, "Hey, we have a society. Mm-hmm. Here's our paperwork to show we're legit. And do you want to play with us?" And oh, play! Most of them did. And so it's yes. our first time going through an award season, quote unquote, <laughs> like like other cities do. And um, and then we voted, and the nominations are out. As uh, yeah, can, as, as of recording, uh, and Mike, because he is <laughs> El Presidente, he is the president of the Seattle <laughs> Film Critics Society. Even though we're recording on Sunday and the nominations drop Monday, he has mum is the word. He has the not accounting told me anything. firm said no. I couldn't uh, get the, right. the <laughs> they, they gave me an envelope that said Emma Stone La La Land, and I just said that doesn't work. You did nice. that once already. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to fall for it again. <laughs> Fool me once, shame on you. Exactly. Fool me twice. I mean, no, y- so, you can't fool me twice. Exactly. <laughs> but by the time everyone hears our, our lovely conversation, mm-hmm. um, the nominations are out. Voting is underway. 
And uh, on December 18th, the 2017 winners mm-hmm. uh, for the Film Critics Society will be announced. But to, to your point that you made earlier, the board, um, our organization has 25 members and about, uh, well, nine of them serve on the board mm-hmm. because we're we're just trying to figure this out. And we've got lots of things that need to happen. And, and all of those uh, members that are on the board have contributed immensely to, to getting us to this Absolutely. point. And so... All of them in some way, shape, or form have had a hand in making this award season happen. And we, um, I, you know, they all, actually everyone in the society deserves praise, the board especially, but all the other sort of non-board members that are in the society um, have all weighed in with ideas or questions or thoughts, things that we haven't thought of, mm-hmm. things that have come up, um, whether it's, hey, um, I heard a screener arrived, but it didn't show up at my house. Is right. that, what, what do we do about that? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you know, I, I don't know, but let's try to get you a copy of what everybody got that you didn't get. So yeah. it's things like that. It's like, hey, I can't make the screening. Will there be another one? I don't know. Let me find out. You know, mm-hmm. it's things like that. And so it's it's just taking kind of an all hands on deck approach, which I love. And I hope um, no matter what roles are defined or not defined going forward year to year, I, I just hope that that same enthusiasm um, cannot lessen and keep going because it, it's For made sure. it a lot of fun um, doing doing all of this. It's been it's been it's been a blast. It has been a blast. I mean, every time because we talk about it, we have we have uh, Slack uh, is this collaborative tool uh, that yes. we have these Slack threads going all the time, every day. And whenever I see a notification, being like, just got a package, <laughs> like that anticipation of like, okay, what is it? Blah, like, we have been. In our first year, the fact that we have already established some really good relationships due to, of course, I mean, relationships that we had locally that then expanded nationally, we like we are we already felt spoiled when we oh, would, yeah, like the definitely. first DVD that came in the mail that was a four year consideration. All of us are like, oh, my gosh, like, right. we're freaking out. And then we started getting dozens of physical sure. DVDs plus nearly hundreds of of digital screeners in our email. So I have the numbers. So please tell me um, if we include the, the disc and, and I don't know if we should say, I mean, it doesn't really matter, but I don't want to like be boastful or anything, but we had a disc arrive on Friday. That was, mm-hmm. you know, we'd already seen the movie, so it's fine, but it was kind of after we had to set a deadline because we had to cap this at some point. Right. Like <laughs> we need to say, we need to stop and mm-hmm. then we need to vote. And then we need to figure out like, who, you know, who the nominees are. So like, when is that timeline and what are we doing? And so with the movie that came to a lot of us on Friday and some people got it on, on this you know Saturday, there were with DVDs and then all the screening links that studios were generous enough to provide. We had 151 movies made available to us. <laughs> and now everyone's going to go, well, those are all, I mean, they saw everything. Well, no, actually no. a lot of those, and it, it, I'm kind of a lot of windows open as we're mm-hmm. talking here, but, but one of the things that I've learned going through this process and this, this, for those of you that are wondering about award season, mm-hmm. here's here's the here's the picture. I'm included in this yeah. because it is still new to me. Go ahead. Here's here's the picture that I'll create, and I apologize for non-sports fans who are going to hear this sports reference. But okay, uh, I think it's permeated in society uh, through society enough to, to people know what March Madness is. Right? right, it's the college basketball tournament. So I was kind of trying to figure out as I'm going through this sort of day to day and week to week and having conversations with people and and everybody's sort of interacting about all of this stuff that's going on with the group. Um, I had somebody, I was talking with this about somebody else that I, that I work with. And somebody said, 
was I just kind of asking questions like, how does this work? And what is, what are you, what are you talking about? Like they're sending you movies and don't you just right. go see those? And, and I was sort of like, okay, so I went back and I thought about it. This is kind of what award season is like. So December is kind of critics season. Okay. And January is where like kind of the big boys and girls make their announcements. Mm-hmm. That's where you have the golden globes and right. you have the critics choice awards mm-hmm. and the SAG awards. And then you have the Oscars usually in February, but because of the Winter Olympics, it's going to be in March. Right. Which so, is still madness to me. I know. Three I months know. into 2018, they're like, I know. Did hey, I remember those films back in 2017? <laughs> I think I told you, but maybe I was telling someone else. As I was working through all the nomination stuff and everything, I was like, do I really have to spend three more months with these movies? Because right. I'm like, I feel like I've spent <laughs> so much time mm-hmm. wondering about the merits of I, Tanya that now I'm like, we're going to talk about Margot Robbie for three more months. But I guess we mm-hmm. are because... You know, that's just how it works. Yeah. I think there's probably 20 to 25 city-based critics groups that have oh, yeah. some announcement I would, I would say of some that, sort. For sure. And that number's wavered over the years, but it's kind of on the upswing again because of the pro- proliferation of blogging and you have online film critics groups and all that kind of stuff. So if we kind of assume that there's like 25 different announcements or whatever from mm-hmm. like Detroit and Seattle and Chicago and New York and then New York again, and then Boston <laughs> right. and LA and San Francisco and Dallas. And you get all of those people. That's kind of tournament time. Mm-hmm. You don't get an automatic yep. berth nope. in the Oscar race, but you kind of get noticed. So when, when, um, Oh, I don't know. Like today, just before we went to air Mudbound, um, yeah. which is kind of surprising. It mm-hmm. won a best picture prize yeah, from a tied. a tied with the Florida project. Mm-hmm. Mudbound kind of won that tournament, right? Or yeah. co-won that tournament. So like a you, regular season, like a conference championship. A little bit. Yeah. yeah. They won mm-hmm. that city. And mm-hmm. so what ends up happening is you kind of have all these cities that sort of declare. And you know, the question of do critics groups really even matter? Well, Yes and no. Like, mm-hmm. it's not like Julia Roberts is sitting on her iPad going, oh, you know, Mudbound just won New York. I should probably really watch Mudbound <laughs> right. now. It doesn't happen that way. However, people in the industry do know that Mudbound or Florida Project or or um, The Post or mm-hmm. Shape of Water won an award from a critics group. And it's just that puts it knowledge. In their, puts it in their head a exactly. little bit. Mm-hmm. And they take their look. They look at their stack of screeners and they go – Oh, I know someone who was, you know, I know that Merrill worked really hard on the post and I'm seeing it's much, I'm going to watch that now right. first. And you just have that. So that's kind of, it doesn't, it doesn't matter what we pick as a film critic society <laughs> right. beyond, I mean, in some ways, <laughs> mm-hmm. but it kind of might. Yeah. Who wins the Seattle tournament and how does mm-hmm. that work towards getting to, you know, the Golden Globe nominations and the Oscar nominations and the SAG awards and all that kind of stuff. So it kind of feeds into each other. And it's just kind of this whole weird sort of sports environment that swirls right. around this from December into January. And then you get a respite and then the Oscars come and that's kind of the Super Bowl, I guess. Yeah. Or the championship game or whatever. Mm-hmm. So if you think about it that way, that's kind of the analogies that spring up around award season. And we're kind of in mm-hmm. the midst of all of those those tournaments that are happening. And our tournament final comes on December 18th. Yeah. So definitely follow, if you're not already, uh, at Seattle Critics on Twitter. Mm-hmm. That is where, I mean, it will be uh, connected to the Facebook page as well, but Seattle Critics on Twitter, follow that because on Monday, I will be retweeting everything. Most of our critics group is going to be retweeting those who, I mean, who can, you know, yeah. obviously. Uh, and then the 18th, so this coming Monday, as you're listening to this, 
is when the winners are going to be announced. So I can tell you that the plan is we'll be t- live tweeting category by category uh, on December 18th. We're also going to be doing it with the nominations, but that would have already happened by the time right. this drops. So if you were able to catch us and now you're hearing about, oh, yeah, I followed that. Mm-hmm. Basically, December 18th, 9 o'clock Pacific time in the morning. Uh, it'll be category by category. 9 a.m. 9 a.m. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we will start, I think, with some of our, I don't want to say lesser categories, but some of our less prolific categories mm-hmm. and yeah. just kind of build up to best picture. And it takes, I think there's five minute intervals. It takes, a, you know, a couple hours. A couple hours. And mm-hmm. so by around 11 a.m. Pacific time, our best picture winner will be announced and we'll have announced everything up to then. And then we. I don't know. Then we go to bed and we sleep for a while because <laughs> right. I don't know. Oh, no, I guess we don't because then we have end of the year stuff to do. Because mm-hmm. so. that is the thing that so Mike <laughs> has been working his butt off. When was the last time? You said you took a nap yesterday, right? How long was your nap? Yeah, it was 13 hours. 13. <laughs> <laughs> and then I got up and I, I gave my wife a kiss and I hugged my uh, daughter and they went to go do stuff. And I um, came to a screening of a movie we can't talk about. Mm, and then mm-hmm. I came here and that's why my stomach might growl occasionally. Cause I, I, uh, I'm living on coffee, sleep and in tea and water. <laughs> uh, well it is Which definitely is nothing, nothing to do with, I said, you need to feed your guests. That's my fault. It's yeah. nothing you need to do. You have a very spacious, wonderful, inviting place. Oh, to come record. Why, why, why? Thank you. So here's to you. Uh, thank you. What is kind of crazy Speaking of screeners, before we move on to the rest of the films, which I watched all of them on screeners, pretty much. All 151? Uh, well, you know, yeah. uh, at least 140. No, come on now. Ridiculous. The ones <laughs> that we we're going to talk about on this episode. <laughs> I have watched more DVDs in the past two weeks yeah. than I have in months. I appreciate the kind of the DVD again. I got yeah. away from it. I don't, I don't buy them. I, mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I've, I've basically gotten rid of most of my collection and I now have all the best picture winners that I own. I have on DVD. I don't have all of them, but mm-hmm. I do, we do have those uh, and a few things that are just kind of grab and toss in and just right. go to bed or, you know, we're just busy doing something. <clears throat> so there's those, but I don't, I've divested. I mean, oh, yeah. I had hundreds, uh, some people had thousands, I had hundreds of DVDs that are gone. Mm-hmm. This gave me that appreciation of taking something out of a package, walking over. It, it had purpose, right? Yeah. Like I'm devoting time to this. So I'm physically putting it in. It, it, it's less than clicking on a, a Netflix, Hulu or mm-hmm. Prime platform or, you know, on a computer. If you're watching a link, it, it meant something to like give yeah. this. Like, it, it felt it's real. It's getting its moment. I'm going yeah. to put this in and I'm going to physically make this happen. It's yeah. kind of nice. What was the first DVD you watched? Whatever, or mm-hmm. just in yeah. this process? What was, what was the first DVD that you I remember my first DVDs because I, Oh old. my God. I remember the first VHS I ever watched. Nope. Not the, not the question. I will accept that, but we also need an answer for the DVD. What was the first DVD I watched? Well, first of all, when was that? 1998 um, and 97 was when they first oh. were becoming big. Oh, I know when it was. Go for it. Titanic. Ugh. All right, this has been the About to Review Podcast. <laughs> Gross. No, I remember that. And the reason why, and I wasn't even, I wasn't even at home. I was working, okay, let me think about the timeline. 98. <laughs> I was working in, in video retail. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, think about this. Video retail. You make it sound so ubiquitous. Like I was working in video retail. What were you doing in video retail? Well, <laughs> like just... yeah, I was, I was, I was managing uh, video stores. Okay, uh, and, there we go. And I'm trying to think if it, I think it was when I was in, what company was I working for? (laughs) 
All I remember is we got in DVDs of Titanic. We got like five or six and we had like 200 copies of it on video. I just remember there was this weird, like ratio that made literally no sense because I remember thinking if we're going to like, this is one of the first titles we're going to bring in on a wide, you know, capacity for DVD. Why aren't we touting DVD? Mm -hmm. Why are we still having 200 pieces of plastic that, um, but I remember we had a a kiosk set up because the company I worked for was introducing DVD Mm -hmm. and, and, (laughs) Titanic was like the, the buy-in and I remember we had a thing. And so we had it on a loop. Wow. Celine Dion. So every oh, okay. oh no. And, uh, Oh, that hurts my soul. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it was, so I guess it was that, but it was watching it through like a studio produced kiosk that <laughs> I am. I'm so sorry for you. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. So my heart still went on after that experience. I, mine barely does. Anytime it oh. comes up. Yeah, dumb movie. What episode um, was that? We should ta- we should hype that episode where we talked about Titanic. Two later, worth the wait. Uh, I forget even what number that okay. was. Just dig through the archives. It's it's a good it's a good listen. <laughs> it's a two part episode. Uh, so I mean, because I, I remember like DVDs came out more around like ninety five, but then they really right. became big. Like my and I, I never really talk about my age, which I'm still not going to do. But no, that's fine. I will say this in a high school yearbook of mine. Yeah. You know what it has like? Are the, you older than twenty? Uh, yes. Okay. All right. So. Uh, in my high school yearbook, remember how it would have like the two color pages, like the year in review <laughs> type of thing. Yes. The year in review in one of my years in high school. Those are the inserts not even produced by the school. Oh right? yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's the only way you could get color in your yearbook. Yep. <laughs> uh, so I, it had a space. It had a big like ad essentially, and it was like digital video discs are now on the blah blah, and it was like it was hyping them up. Because it was like it was new as far as that was where the medium was going. It was no longer just like, oh, the studio just produces. It was this is a real thing, right? Digital video discs like can contain a three hour movie. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah. But I remember there was also that worry that you can't scratch them, like you can't. Right. And so people would literally like it was like in a science lab. They would like Ark take of the, the Covenant exactly, and it was just like oh, and you would just see this like like the. Almost like we were having to wear gloves and we had mm-hmm. to like, you know, spray something on it to make it clean. You know, it was just, it was crazy how much oh, yeah. carefulness went into just one DVD going from package to player. Mm-hmm. Silly. My, I remember two and I, I can't remember which one I saw first. Uh, Moulin Rouge. Okay. Uh, and Blade. Blade nice. was the first movie that had an alternate ending. Oh, right. On okay. the DVD. And it was like. Wait, I can watch, like, there were special features on that. Moulin Rouge, this again, I I am old. Moulin Rouge ends. It gets to the end of the movie. I pressed rewind, not knowing that uh, how DVDs <laughs> worked because. Nice. No, like, nobody knew. Like, it was still Look, so new. The Titanic special so features dumb. were right. subtitles. That's, that was that was wow. the bonus. You got to watch it in like 10 different languages or something crazy. And there might have been... Which one of those languages made it a decent movie? I wonder if any of them. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> James Cameron's on the phone. He'd like to have a word right. with you. Again, the third act of that movie redeems the first two thirds of which were garbage. Okay. We're so far down the rabbit hole. Didn't Kate Winslet go on TV? She did a talk show recently where she... Oh, Stephen Pro- Colbert. Colbert. Yes. And they proved that yes. he could st- he could have survived. Definitively. Even though Mythbusters had done it, 
I have been saying that for years. And now you've been validated again yes. by Colbert, the number one talk show on late night. Finally, uh, Well, technically, Deces and Marrow is the number one oh, show yeah, on yeah, late yeah. night. Fair but, enough. Uh, Fair enough. Uh, but yeah. I'm I mean, talking about that, like, you know, the block of, of course. like, you know, yeah. major Conan folks. And, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway. But yeah. DVDs. Uh, I watched more recently than I had in forever. Because, Same. yeah, just everything is streaming now. Yep. So anyway. Okay. So that was kind of the the recap of yeah, it's been a blast of all the screens. <laughs> and I'm sure craziness. by the time you see this, that uh, if you follow any of us on Twitter, you can see us all, mm-hmm. you know, debating and questioning and wondering how something got nominated, something didn't get nominated, and I mean, what they're going to vote for. If, if the Emoji now. Movie does not get ten nominations, I will be very sad. Well, as I said often in emails <laughs> to the membership, <laughs> right. eligible in all applicable categories. Terrible. John. Oh God, so so terrible. I should just have a. Um, uh, that phrase, I just mm-hmm. need to have a, a shortcut on my, on my, yeah. On my a hot key. Yeah. Just hit that and eligible in all applicable categories. Yeah. I like it. Oh my. Cool. All right. So the first movie that we're going to talk about, uh, that actually pertains to the episode, uh, that we are doing is good time. Good time is, <laughs> uh, easily the most frenetic and one of the most stressful movies I have seen in a while. Uh-huh. Uh, stars Robert Pattinson in a role that this is not the twinkly vampire, sparkly <laughs> vampire, whatever. Like I was just going to say that. Yeah, man. Like he gives a hell of a performance as just this. I, I mean, I cannot even say strung out because he actually is very anti drug in this. Well, right. He's anti. Well, he does not take drugs himself. No. Uh, no. And he is very steadfast on that but he is high strong stressed this essentially is a heist movie uh from the beginning to the end even though the quest of that heist changes Mm -hmm. in the beginning you see kind of a bank robbery and then it goes into a different type of heist about an object and then it goes into a different type of heist about a person then it goes into a different type of heist i mean it once it hit its stride in the first two minutes, it never really let up. This was directed by uh, the Safdie brothers. Mm-hmm. One of the brothers, and I always forget which one. Oh, uh, look. Benny. Yes, he's, he's Benny, in the movie. Yeah, Benny Safdie plays uh, Nick, who is Robert Pattinson's uh, character, Connie. They're brothers. Mm-hmm. Benny plays someone who is... Um, has some mental deficiencies or a little bit slower, uh, has hearing aids in. This was my first exposure to Benny Safdie as an actor. I'm going to look him up while you're talking. I'm curious what else he's been in. Like the Safdie brothers have done a, have done quite a few projects. Right, right. Seeing an actor portray a character like that so convincingly that after the movie, I was like, is that is he, you know, actually, yeah. does he, those afflictions or whatever it is? No. <laughs> right. He played a great character. But again, this heist movie, this frenetically paced heist movie, A, has fantastic colors. Like the color palette in this movie, and you can see some of it in the trailers, because before I watched the screener of this, I think I had watched a trailer. I was not really sure, but I knew I knew that I wanted to see it. It. It's theatrical sort of history. It it A twenty four is the studio, mm-hmm. and A twenty four 
still are playing with house money when it comes to their projects. I yeah. mean, they have they have delivered such good content mm-hmm. uh, in their run that I think anytime that A24 band comes up, you're like, what, what, what is this? What, what, what yep. are we doing? What exactly. are we doing now? Regardless of what it is, even though, yes, and Tim and I have talked about it before, <laughs> not everything is fantastic. But no, no. when we see the A24 logo or when I get, an, like I said, when I got a package from A24. Right. I was hype because yeah. no matter what was in there, I knew there would be something amazing. There, and there's some, yeah. And, and they don't shy away from projects that aren't afraid to challenge the viewer, you know, mm-hmm. and, and put you at, at sort of odds with what's comfortable Yeah, and good time uh, is one of the films that does that. Oh yeah. <laughs> what's interesting though, is it's, it's, you know, a24 has never had, I think their biggest grossing movie and someone's going to fact check this and probably tweet that I'm wrong, but mm-hmm. it, it's moonlight. And I don't oh, yeah. think that movie grossed domestically didn't clear $35 million. So you have a 24, which is this studio that has all of these great projects and all of these great films mm-hmm. box office. They've never had a huge breakout success mm-hmm. box office wise yet. They just continue to they just have an Oscar winner for best picture. <laughs> they do. You're absolutely right. Um, and, and who knows, they could have another one this year for all we know, but they, they just chug along and give us these, these projects that, that are critically acclaimed. Again, they look, there's just a feel about these projects that they put forth. Um, and good time is a movie that, that plays with your sensibilities Mm -hmm. and never lets you be at rest because (laughs) nothing in their store in this movie story is ever at rest. And if anything pauses for a moment, something crazy is going to happen to knock you off kilter. And the yeah. movie lives in that sort of spinning a top and just having it kind of wobble. And that's where good time. That's what yeah. it is. I mean, no, it's that, a spinning top that's wobbling the whole time. And that absolutely is a good comparison. One of the things that I wrote down was that in those brief moments of not even serenity in those brief moments of calm, all that does is set you up for the next punch. Right. When you think that things are like, okay, he kind of figured out this. He kind of, you know, has, has some people around him. Okay. This, and then something happens that immediately makes you remember what is happening. Right. And that relentless desperation through this movie was incredible. The soundtrack, uh, I wrote down his name because he has two names, Daniel Lopatin, uh, but also one Oh tricks, uh, point never one Oh tricks point never. Yeah. One Oh tricks point never. Awesome synth soundtrack that a lot of it just sounded like I was playing Contra, uh, <laughs> which was awesome. <laughs> Sorry to yell laugh. The first of perhaps a few to come. Yeah. Uh, like the synth, <clears throat> the synth pop eight bit style soundtrack. Right. Perfectly blended with that frenetic pace. Cause again, it reminds you of those games that we used to play that go back and try and play those. They are brutal. <laughs> like yeah. they're just, Nothing really slows down. Enemies start reappearing every time you go across the screen again. It's an interesting comparison, John, because the, the there is a video game kind of quality to this in a way. For sure. You know, it, just the pulsing nature of it, not necessarily the content. I mean, you know, we'll get into that. But it, the movie <laughs> right. just moves at that sort of video game pace where it's mm-hmm. like this to this to this to the And you just continue to just bounce along scene to scene, boss to boss kind of, um, yeah. and it's, so it's an interesting comparison. Yeah. I didn't think of that until you mentioned it. I mean, it just, and I think part of that was definitely the score, yeah. but then the overarching theme themes of the movie. Yeah. This one is, it was just intense. Uh, Robert Pattinson, like I said, 
incredible performance. Yeah. Uh, Benny Safdie, not knowing any of his work before and then seeing him in interviews with his brother, that made me respect his performance so much more. Right. Uh, there actually is a really, I will try and link it below. I will write that down. Um, an interview they did, I think on Vice, where they had never really done a storyboard before. <laughs> and so with some of the scenes in this film where they had helicopter shots and all of these mm-hmm. things, they had to do a storyboard for the first time. And he pulls out this paper that is just scribbled was drawings. It like butcher block paper? Or Pretty something? much. Yeah, yeah, nice. He just pulled it out and he was like, the helicopter scene, or not scene, but there's a helicopter shot. While that is going on, the FAA is on the phone, oh, like boy. on the radio being like, there's a plane coming in. Chopper number four, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, we just need the shot. They did it in one shot because that was all they could do. Those types of things That's awesome. are, are great. So it's, rene- it's renegade filmmaking, right? It's Yeah, because they got clearance, but then a 7, 747 or 777, I think, started coming in in their flight path. And amazing. they literally had to get the shot at that time or it was not going to be it. Right. So, yeah. Um, so are we – because I, I don't want to – I don't want to – throw a fly in the ointment or a, mm-hmm. a brick in the washing machine here. But are are we, are we all in on good time or do we hold back a little bit? Cause there were moments in the movie that I don't want to say it took me out of the experience, mm-hmm. but it does do some takes a couple diversions that mm-hmm. I thought were unnecessary. <laughs> they're unnecessary. And it struck me as I want to pick my words carefully because I don't want to come off as sounding like somebody who, you know, no, I don't know. I don't here, here. Okay. It struck me as an over exuberant filmmaker going, Oh my gosh, let's do this. And not caring mm. that it doesn't necessarily fit with yep. the bigger story. Of the soul. And, and you see this a lot of times with some indie filmmakers. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the, the, I've taken too much food at Thanksgiving and now I'm, I'm full, but I don't know what to do with what's on my plate. Yeah. Like I don't, I don't need the extra cranberry sauce or mm-hmm. stuffing, but now it's here. Oh, what do I do with it? I guess I just eat it. And so this movie kind of yeah. has moments like that where it's like, well, we set this up and maybe not in storyboard, but we talked about this mm-hmm. and this is awesome. And we're now committed to doing this. I guess I'll just eat it. <laughs> and so yeah. there's, there's a few moments in good time that I thought were, were the, were the, they undermined the bigger picture of what it was trying to do. And the, there's a sequence with it, with a, with a young girl yep. that, that is important to the story, but it's, yeah. it's done in a way that, and this isn't a, it's not a post Weinstein reaction to it. It's right. just in general, there's, there's an, there's an accident, a mistake made by Robert Pattinson mm-hmm. and it does spring the story along, mm-hmm. but it also, it's just the way it's it's introduced, done, the way the story yeah. sort of lingers there for a bit. And I just thought, oh, guys, if only you just had somebody to say, should no, we? No, yeah. <laughs> should you do that? Mm-hmm. It's fine if you want to introduce some of that. But like, Is it we, necessary? Do we need that to move along? You know? and, and, and there's a few moments like that where I just thought, ah, oh, yeah. a few more years of experience and you probably would have steered yourself out of that. Yeah, you know, I can Sa- see that. Safety brothers. Um so I, I can't give it a full-throated all-stars endorsement, but mm-hmm. there's enough good that I, I really enjoyed the movie. But I was just curious if, if it had some moments of pause for you. Absolutely. No, that scene that – and I, I'm sure we were thinking of the same one. Putting a scene like that in there to move the plot forward, okay, sure. Feels a little bit weird. 
but then doing nothing with it right. then makes it feel in retrospect unnecessary. Uh, so that, that was kind of my, my feeling with it. Um, but yeah. So what we will do for all of these movies, all seven <laughs> of these movies uh, on this episode is we will do, we will rate them. Uh, even though I do not know, Mike knows, and he is a jerk for not telling me because he is following his own rules for not telling me which one, if Good Time is nominated <laughs> for anything, if it is on a list, which is fine. But here on this podcast, uh, the rating system, three choices, good, bad, or ugly. No stars, no letters. To break it down simply, a good movie is something that you really enjoyed. You would recommend it to people. It, it gave you the feels that made you want to talk about it in a positive way. Mm-hmm. A bad movie, not something you would immediately recommend. Something that you had more problems with it than you had positives with it. An ugly movie, avoid at all costs. Right. So, yeah, for all of the movies that we will talk about on this episode, because all of these either have been released, limited, or are going to be released you know, so all of them, you will have an opportunity to see these clearly, yeah, in some way or fashion, right. Soon, good time is actually on home video now. Like I think it's oh, already, a, yeah, because it played wow, in theaters okay. in August and September. Okay, uh, again, coming soon to home video. Yeah, it, it may it, actually it, be. You <laughs> might even be able to find it. I, I don't know because I've lost all ability to track. Yeah, what's on DVD? What's available on iTunes or digital mm-hmm. or VOD? None of that makes sense in anymore. Yeah. So. I don't know. Good time is not in theaters. So it's probably, but it did make a small run because it did. It made like 3 million bucks. Yeah. We will not go into the politics of Oscar qualifications and how you have to do that because it is just weird and does not make sense. (laughs) But regardless, all of the movies on this episode, you will be able to uh, see in one or another very soon. You will find them somewhere somehow. Yep. So for the rating for, Good Time, starring uh-huh. Rob Pattison by the Safdie Brothers. Yes. Mike Ward of Should I See It? What do you give Good Time? Good. <laughs> How about that? <laughs> wow. No, no. There's enough in it that I, I would say it's it's good. Um, okay. It's it's I, it's not bad. It's it's a movie, though, that's not for everybody. I mean, yeah. it, it challenges. I, I, I'm not going to say that it's, it's not grotesquely violent or anything like that. But, I mean, if... You know, if you're if you're a little squeamish or sheepish about you know sort of movies that are sort of gritty and have a lot going on visually, mm-hmm. and it's just you know if you like your movies a little more simple, well, it sounds like I'm putting it, but but you know like a more straightforward conventional narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, this might not be the, is this the is probably not the movie for you, even <laughs> yeah. if you love Robert Pattinson and watch every single moment of screen time he gives you. Right. This will shake you to the core a little bit, just because mm-hmm. there's some some really like eye-opening kind of moments i'm thinking of one scene near the end that i was like well well damn like that's uh they didn't the camera stayed there the whole time Mm -hmm. so you know there's there's a few moments like that so but overall you can't deny the craftsmanship so it's good okay uh a great quote um that i heard from someone else who watched the film this is requiem with the dream without the drugs Mm -hmm. that's it's there is some, there are some drug elements in this. Again, it is a multiple heist type of movie. Yeah. Metaphorical and literal. Yeah. The heisting, which you talked about. Yeah. But the, the tension that you felt with Requiem for a Dream, you will feel in this movie. It is. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It is, it is hard to avoid that. Yeah. So with me, my rating for it, again, 
it had me hooked. It was tense. The soundtrack was great. The color palette and the color play that they did with the cinematographer and the director of photography was incredible. So I agree. I definitely give it a good. It might not be something that I recommend to everyone. Right. Uh, but yeah, it was, it was for sure a good. One last thought. Mm-hmm. If if anyone listening is is on Twitter and you watch <laughs> right? and you watch Good Time, mm-hmm. make sure that you tweet Robert Pattinson's name as you tweet about watching it because you will immediately get traction and there will be followers. Oh yeah, the Twihards. Yeah, because yeah. <laughs> there are a, there is a a small nexus of of performers that if you tweet their name. No matter what you say about them, you will either get massive retweets or a mm-hmm. bunch of new followers. It's a bit silly, quite frankly. I noticed that oddly but, enough, but with Pattinson uh, is still one of them. As is Kristen Stewart, Lady know, Gaga, probably Colin Kaepernick. I'm trying to think of like people that I've seen that mm-hmm. generate like they're just their name. There's just an immediate like groundswell of retweets, and so Pattinson's definitely in that <laughs> core group. Uh, I noticed it when I dropped my episode last Friday with Peter Tensio and Felicia Rashad. Ah, before I even posted the episode, yeah, somebody on Twitter, like it was that Felicia Rashad fans or something, tweeted about my episode before go. I posted about my episode. Yeah, and and we'll, so, we we'll see it with the Film Critics Society stuff too. Mm-hmm. As as we tweet nominees, well, we tweeted the nominees, but as we tweeted the nominees and as we tweet the winners, random fan groups that yep. you're like, what? There's a Twitter for that? Mm-hmm. They'll just grab it and just run with it, and it's just goofy. But yeah. if you want some Twitter traction and you're just feeling like, hey, I'm out here, just tweet about Robert Pattinson. I like it. Yeah. There's a hot tip for everybody. <laughs> uh, okay, so next on our list, Mike is going to introduce I, Tanya. I, Tanya is mm-hmm. a biopic from director and writer Craig Gillespie. Mm-hmm. It tells the story of Tanya Harding, a figure skater <laughs> yeah. who rises through the ranks of competitive figure skating only to find disgrace when her husband attempts to eliminate her rival, Nancy Kerrigan. Why does it sound so familiar? I don't know. I know. It's a brilliant concept. Mm-hmm. Oh, did it happen? I don't know. It feels, yeah. yeah, it's a biopic. Of course it happened. So this is the story of, of, of Tanya Harding um, and all of its weird and wild machinations. Mm-hmm. Uh, her upbringing, uh, being in a very difficult home, having a love for figure skating, mm-hmm. um, and basically rising up through that as a youth and and having incredible talent yeah. that puts her in line to be in competitive figure skating both regionally then nationally and ultimately mm-hmm. uh globally globally as 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 a member of the United States Olympic team and all of the hurdles that are put in front of her life to try for her to, for her to try to get over to just get to that point and then you take someone who has fought to be, um, gosh, I wanted to say loved, but really it's just recognized as, right. as being an equal in a lot of different ways. Yeah. And you put her in the national spotlight with cameras and with no media training, no media training, Zero. <laughs> no, no ability in many ways, somewhat understandably and somewhat not to see beyond her own nose on, on mm-hmm. life. And you put her in the spotlight and you give her a chance to win a gold medal or to compete to win a gold mm-hmm. medal all around the world. And you get the, the, the 
wild, crazy story of Itania. And there's a lot of places we can go with it from there, but that's generally the concept. Mm-hmm. One of the, like the first thing that struck me with, with Itania, first of all, Margot Robbie is having a great year. Uh-huh. Really being able to flex her muscles that unfortunately for a lot of people, she was Harley Quinn in Suicide Squad. And that was kind of... <laughs> That might be all they know her from. Sorry, it was just it was just breathing. Yeah, uh huh. It was into the mic. But this year with Goodbye Christopher Robin, mm-hmm. now I Tanya, like she is a great actress. The promise of what we saw, or what a lot of us saw, and I, I'm a, I don't know if you're a fan or not. We've never talked about it, but The Wolf of Wall Street, right? Where mm-hmm. she she is that movie. I mean, that is a DiCaprio tour de force performance, yeah, absolutely, which we all recognizing, you know. She, though, is that movie's secret weapon, and mm. she kind of came out of nowhere and shows up in that movie, and it's like, wait, where did where did Scorsese find her? Yeah. Because she owns every scene she's in, and she's working alongside DiCaprio, who's giving the performance of his life. Yeah. What he thought was going to be his well, Oscar-winning yeah, performance. Exactly. Oh, he tried so hard, didn't mm-hmm. he? Um, some would say he deserved it for that instead of The Revenant, but that's another mm-hmm. conversation on the podcast. So anyway, you've got her there. Mm-hmm owning all of those scenes and everyone's like, Whoa, what is she going to do next? And she, you know, she just built a career and she, you know, she made that Tarzan movie, which wasn't good. And she kind of showed up with that. Wasn't there a Will Smith movie in there with like, what was she in focus? Uh, Is that what it was? called? Oh yeah. Not great. I mean, she's fine in it. It's not her fault, but you know, she's kind of like, and you go, well, okay. That's mm-hmm. where it's going with her. And then suddenly this year, she does a nice sort of change of pace performance in, in an okay movie, Goodbye Christopher Robin. Mm-hmm. And then there's this performance. Yeah. And Margot Robbie is phenomenal in I, Tanya. Like, mm-hmm. I, I don't know where that came from because it is such a lived in, mm-hmm. completely against type performance from the, the body of work that we've seen from her. Um, I was a fan, but then after seeing what she does with this in terms of comedic timing, the ability to blend emotions, her reaction to things, this is just such a commanding turn that I, she's kind of reached that rarefied air with me of like, I will watch no matter whatever she's in, I'm going to watch it for an indiscriminate period of time. Cause I, I was really impressed beyond words, although I'm saying things um, about how (laughs) she did in this. I mean, the, the, the only I totally agree with everything you said. One of my only... There's a but coming, though. No. In other words, <laughs> um, the thing that Margot Robbie... And again, this, this is this is weird. No, uh, no, that's fine. No judgments or whatever. Go for it. She is almost too pretty for Tanya Harding. Okay. I say that because there are certain roles. So Rent, as much as I love the movie Rent, mm-hmm. again... I'm a musical theater kid. Sure. We've talked about that. Rosario Dawson as Mimi does not work mm-hmm. as well as it could. Because when Mimi, first of all, she is supposed to be, you know, 17 years old. <laughs> but when she. Are you saying they, Rosario Dawson wasn't 17 when she made Ren? No. So I mean, saying? she still looks incredible. Oh, yeah. But, but that so, is yeah. one of the issues is when Mimi, towards the end of in the third act of Rent, no spoilers, but whatever. Mimi is supposed to have been living in Central Park, on the streets, addicted to drugs. When they find Rosario Dawson and they, you know, they go through that and they have a big song number, she is still really pretty. Mm -hmm. And it just does not quite fit the character. Tanya Harding, 
and Margot Robbie as Tanya Harding, like you can still see Margot Robbie in a lot of it. One of the, like the opposite of that, Charlize Theron and Monster. Oh, thousand percent. When you watch Monster, you do not see Charlize Theron. <laughs> right. Like that. So that type of shift, and that is tough to do. And I, I understand that. Um, but Margot, like there were just some of the, some of the moments when, I mean, Margot Robbie is a very attractive woman. Right. Not to say Tanya Harding is not. If any Tanya Harding fans are listening to this, or Tanya Harding's listening, or Tanya Harding, oh, that would be real <laughs> awkward. <laughs> She's doing red carpets with Margot Robbie now. Yeah, which is it, it is like, a wow. weird world. I mean, I guess you you guys will have to see the movie to see why that's kind of like a I don't want to say an eye opener, but it's a little bit like so so Tanya Harding's going on on tour with this movie. Yeah. Okay, sure, all right. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. I mean, I'm sure she had to sign off on it. You oh know. yeah, yeah. So it just that was just one of the things where it took me a little bit of getting used to. Oddly enough, the person in the film, so for Allison Janney, crushes it. Absolutely crushes <laughs> it because she is amazing in everything she does. Yeah. Um, as Tanya Harding's mom. She has the best line delivery of any movie I've seen so far this year. And when I mean line delivery, I mean stating of one line reading. Like she says okay. one yep. thing. I don't mean like her performance, but mm-hmm. I mean, it's a great performance. We'll talk about that. But but she has one. I, st- I laugh because... Watching it at home, mm-hmm. uh, which we were fortunate enough to do, yes. um, there was that. There's the scene. It's it's five seconds long. Mm-hmm. It's in the middle of the movie. Okay, Allison Janney's character. She plays Tanya Harding's mother in a just irascible, awful human being of a performance. Right, <laughs> Pretty much. Um, there is a moment though where she has been out of the movie for a little while, mm-hmm. and so the movie is is edited extremely well well and a lot because the movie doesn't stay still it jumps around a lot and and i think some of that is the hyperkinetic nature of of not only tanya harding and and but the story is but the story has so many pieces to it um just getting to the olympics that you you need to get an idea of who she is you kind of just get this like run through of everything Mm -hmm. and so there's a lot of editing going on and the movie like is just jumping around and doing lots of different things. And then it stops and it's shot from a back and Allison Janney is sitting on a couch with mm-hmm. oxygen mm-hmm. And, and, a, she pour, and a bird on her and shoulder a bird on her shoulder and she pours a drink and she again has not been in the movie for a while. Mm-hmm. And I can't say what she says because you would have to recode this for iTunes and all of your other podcast right. places. But she says a line that I, I laughed for about 15 minutes straight just because it is so pitch perfect. She is so angry. She's breaking the fourth wall, but she is so angry that she hasn't been in the movie. And she also acknowledges in her own way that she's not going to be in the movie for a while because it's Mm -hmm. not focused on her. And she is so just, it's, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. That sequence, that not even sequence, that moment. Oh, it's rich. I mean, the, the cast of Sebastian Stan or, uh, yeah, yeah Sebastian, Sebastian Stan. Stan is in this. He is also really good, but the most believable character to me, mm-hmm. uh, and it was, wait, an, wait, are you, go ahead. An actor that I had not really known before. Yes. Paul Walter Hauser. Yes. Playing Sean Eckhart. Oh my gosh. <laughs> that guy. Oh, because again, I think the benefit was he was not as well known as Alison Janney, Sebastian Stan, Margot no, Robbie. No, no, From what I remember, I mean, cause again, I remember the Tanya Harding, Nance Kerrigan story 
happening in real time. It is a bonkers, crazy story. If you don't know the Tanya Harding, Nancy Kerrigan stories, they, they, they were friends, then became rivals. Mm -hmm. And what ended up happening is um, Jeff Galuli, which is Sebastian Stan's character is Tanya Harding's husband. And to give Tanya Harding something of a competitive advantage, mm -hmm. they they bungle – oh, I don't even know how to describe it. They have a plan in place that they screw up, and then what ends up happening is this this character played by Paul Walter Hauser, Sean right. Eckhart. <laughs> Sean Eckhart, who is a conservatively a 300-pound lug who lives with mom and dad in the basement mm -hmm. and literally yells upstairs when he wants something. He is the best friend of Jeff Galuli and gets roped into this whole thing. And he ends up, and it's not a spoiler because it's real life. He ends up right. smashing Nancy Kerrigan in the back of the leg with a police baton out of desperation because a plan they had fell apart. So he wallops her in the in the back of the knee and so Nancy Kerrigan screams out, why, 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 in the mm -hmm. famous moment. And it's all in an effort to keep Nancy Kerrigan from essentially competing on the U.S. Olympic team against Tanya Harding, mm -hmm. so Tanya Harding can win a gold medal, and that's, and then the question from there becomes, what did Tanya Harding know, and what did she not know? Right. So the movie has all of these little idiosyncrasies about Tanya Harding getting to that place, all of the the weird little group of people that she ends up surrounded with, all the things that are happening without her knowing, mm -hmm. all the things that she kind of quietly signs off on. And then ultimately what transpires and gets to gets <laughs> what happens at the Olympics. Um, and then yeah. this sort of umbrella hanging over her of mom and this upbringing and this horrific parenting that she received growing up and, and still tries to have, you know, the mom is still trying to influence her from a distance. But you were going to talk about Paul Walter Hauser. <laughs> Paul Walter and, then, Hauser. and then you went looking at that and I jumped in. But you're, what were you going to say? He was incredible. Because yeah. he was believable. He was the person that just the way that the way that he looks, the way that he acts, the way that he delivers his lines in such an over the top way. Yeah. But then you realize, no, that was actually what happened. This this movie, and I talk about biopics a lot on oh, this show. I, I thought can I just tell you, I thought of you. Mm -hmm. We haven't talked about this, but I thought of you mm -hmm. when the end credits came up. For exactly what the I think. The end you're credits say. in this movie was the perfect way to do a biopic. You saw during the movie these interview segments and, and all of that with these over-the-top characters. Right. You see those same interview segments at the end <laughs> when they were filmed in the 90s. And you realize, no, those were not lines that the actors were doing. Like, right. those happened. So, so They're hearing, using actual interview dialogue yes. in their script, yeah. And they're so recreating it, yeah. That was incredible. And the amount of them. It was not just a couple things here and there. Like, right. during the credits or right, right before the end credits, it is a good, like, three to five minutes of various clips of the people involved. Right. The framing device is that there's sort of an unseen documentarian right. who right. is shooting all of these interviews years after everything has happened. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's largely through you know, Margot Robbie's character, Tanya Harding telling the story, but you do get the cutaways of like interviewing Allison Janney, interviewing Jeff Galuli, but then of course they're flashbacks from those interviews. So you're seeing right. what they're talking about. That's the framing device. So it breaks the fourth wall. And it does, it breaks kinda, the fourth wall blatantly also because yeah. in the interview segments, that is one thing, but there are times when Margot Robbie will look directly at the camera during a scene and say yeah. something 
Yeah. Those were those were interesting choices, uh, but right. it still kind of made. It's a little have your cake sense. and eat it too. I, yeah. Yeah. Uh, some of some of the flourishes because this is a. It, we, we talk about um, when you and Ian uh, Dinsmore were talking mm-hmm. about three billboards and it was referenced as a dark comedy. Um, <laughs> yeah. Th- you know, that movie, I might personally think it's a little more of a drama than a comedy, but there's comedic elements to mm-hmm. it. Um, this, I think, better, dare I say, better fits the definition of a dark comedy because there's not a lot of happiness going on in this movie and there's not yeah, a no. lot of sunshine. But there are comedic beats throughout this whole thing. Um, that just sort of keep it vibrant and alive in a way that's almost counterintuitive to what the, the movie is even discussing and showing us. For sure. Um, and it's an interesting, I appreciate it for that. I appreciate that it, it recognizes that although there were real stakes and real people involved in this stuff, this is a goofy, nutty story. And mm-hmm. we should just kind of embrace that. <laughs> And just see where it goes. Mm-hmm. And just roll with it. Yeah. L- let it definitely. take you on that journey because, oof, <laughs> it is it is something else for sure. Yeah. I'm so happy you mentioned Paul Walter Hauser, though. I guess to describe the Sean Eckert character, he's kind of the, the guy who, when you're talking, he'll kind of, he'll leave his, I don't know if he even does this in the movie, but this mm-hmm. is, this is the, this is the description. He kind of was, will cock his head back and open his mouth and you'll see his tongue while you're talking to him. He's kind of one of those kind of yeah. guys. And then he says something that just makes literally no sense. No sense whatsoever. And then you realize, oh no, that real guy said those real things. Yeah, I know. Exactly. Yeah. There's, so just, there's just a lot to like with I, Tanya. Yeah. So. Uh, cool. All right. So to the rating system uh, for I, Tanya, Yeah. What is your official rating? Good. Yeah. Excellent. Good. Yeah. Uh, I, I totally agree with that as well. This was captivating, like seeing as, as the movie is progressing, I remember there was, there was a time when I was watching a lot of figure skating. Cause that's what happens when you have sisters. Uh, so like seeing Oksana yeah. Bayul, you know, all of these things. Oh, right, right. That it was just, it was a really nice kind of, uh, reflection of being like, oh yeah, I remember when this was going on but still not really at the age to know exactly what was going on. Right. Uh, there was a mad TV sketch. I want to say <laughs> around the same time where they're like, she's got spunk, you know, and it was talking about Nancy or Tanya Harding and yeah. just kind of coming from nowhere into the world of elite figure skating. Right. Which they've never really, they play accepted. that up in the movie. Yeah, yeah for sure. So yeah, I give this a good, uh, as well. Definitely enjoyed this film. It will be, <laughs> Again, it is kind of tough. We will not really talk about release dates too much because they will certain markets get these for certain dates. This time of year, yeah, it's it's what they call platform releasing. So they'll 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 qualify it for the Oscars. Mm-hmm. Well, a lot of these things are festival acquisitions True. too, or they're or they're debuted in festivals to get buzz going. And I think I'm not going to know I, I Tanya's history from you know script to screen, but right. I, I feel like it was a movie that. I don't know if Neon, which is the studio that has it, I don't know if they, they, they I don't think they financed. I think they bought it. Um, yeah. But basically, yeah, it did the festival circuit. It's it's opening in New York and L.A. Uh, we just saw it did major box office on four theaters you know, mm-hmm. nationwide. It's going to expand. And so by the end of the year, it should be probably everywhere. Yeah. So. Cool. All right. So moving on to the next one. Yeah. Which is Lady Bird. Never heard of it. 
Uh, oh, boy. <laughs> boy, are you in for a treat then. I'm kidding. I'm joking. I'm kidding. Uh, Lady Bird is one that I missed the actual theater screenings for. Mm-hmm. We only had kind of one. It was, again, independent movie that we were fortunate to get a screener screening of it in the theater. Hey, I just missed it. It's and another then, A24 movie. Yeah. And then they sent it. So I was like, okay. Right. Thank Def- you. Definitely going to make that helps make time for that for sure. <laughs> yes. Uh, Lady Bird is directed by Greta Gerwig, uh, who full disclosure, I did not know anything about uh, before this movie. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Uh, what you're one of those. Yeah, pretty much. Wait, what did, <laughs> what, what would you say is her biggest thing before this? Oh, you can't. That's the problem. So she's done a lot of, such a cliche independent movies, but Mm -hmm. like she makes small, she stars in small movies. It's just kind of who she is. I think as a, as a leading actress, a lot of people might know her as, um, from Francis Ha, which is a kind of a quasi Woody Allen, Manhattan sort of styled black and white movie, uh, sort of adopting the Seinfeld approach of it's a movie about nothing, but kind of okay. about everything. Um, and she's just this quirky New York uh, transplant into New York city, trying to find her way. And it's like 85 gotcha. minutes, black and okay. white, very well made. Um, she's, and, I, and pardon me if I get this wrong. She's the, not the, she's the partner of Noah Baumbach. I don't think they're married. Okay. I could be wrong about that. Noah Baumbach, who's written a lot of great movies, um, and they've collaborated on a couple mm-hmm. um, writing scripts. I think she did get to a place where she was the the best friend in a couple of major studio movies. I'm remembering the um, Natalie Portman movie. What is it? Is it which one was she in? Was it uh, No Strings Attached or Friends with Benefits? I try and avoid all of those. I, I yeah. Uh. <laughs> one was Timberlake and Mila Kunis, and one was. Ashton Kutcher and Natalie Portman. And I think she was the best friend of Natalie Portman. And I I want to say that was no strings attached. (laughs) Oh yeah. No strings attached. Okay. Okay. So friends with benefits was the Timberlake one. Okay. So not, I mean, that's not a ton, not not a huge library of well-known projects. And and I remember when, when my wife and I went to go see this, I just assumed she knew who Greta Gerwig was. Mm -hmm. And she's like, I have no idea who this is. How would I know her? And I rattled off Francis Ha, Mistress mm-hmm. America, uh, which was a Noah Baumbach movie. A couple of things that I thought she had watched with me, and she's just crickets. She just couldn't remember. Then when she saw her, she goes, oh, yeah, I remember that one movie you made me watch a couple years ago. Yeah, okay, mm. she's funny, whatever. Um, but Greta Gerwig isn't on screen. She's behind the yeah, screen. Yeah, so she one. she directs Lady Bird uh, with... And wrote it. And, and read, yes, writer-director with Sorshi... No. Sershi. No. Sawaris. Ronan. Sawerse. No, I'm just kidding. I was like, come on. It's Sersha. Sersha. Sersha Ronan. Uh, You might want to, you're probably going to hear her name a lot in the next three months. I am positive about that. And you, yeah. Uh, She's on her way to a third Oscar nomination. I'm sure there's no doubt in my mind about that. Sersha? She has had two. What? What? Yeah. What else was she nominated for? Brooklyn. She was the lead oh. actress in Brooklyn, and she was in a, a supporting actress nominee for Atonement. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I saw him. I saw him with my own eyes. Don't you remember Atonement? You probably, I don't know if you saw Atonement. I'm not sure if I saw that. Yeah. She's the little girl who makes the accusation of 
Uh, oh, she was in Hannah. Okay. And she was in Hannah. I remember her for that. Okay, she's, gotcha. She's great in Hannah. Yeah. She's gotcha. put together a solid little career so okay. far. So basically, with this film, with Lady Bird, uh, the synopsis on IMDb is one sentence, yeah. which I like. In the early 2000s, an artistically inclined 17-year-old comes of age in Sacramento, California. Boom. And that is it. But the thing that, that I really, really enjoyed with Lady Bird, this was the most authentic and true, to me, coming-of-age tale in a very long time. Maybe it was because of the timing of it, like when it took place. Not sure what, but the things that happen in this movie, I am not a huge, uh, not even necessarily fan. Like when it comes to coming of age movies, yeah, I will watch them, but they're not my maybe preferred genre. Mm -hmm. This movie, it just hit it out of the park. It blew me away from the beginning, you know, like the middle scenes, like, yes, it is formulaic. It is a coming of age tale with teenagers, but whether it was the music choices, which hit me in the feels, (laughs) <laughs> uh, because of just timing this movie yeah it was just it was authentic and that was something that i think a lot of the other coming of age tales maybe just did not really have as much for me because mm-hmm. like growing up me watching ferris bueller's day off at 10 years old yeah they were adults i never saw them as as teenagers right 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 you know and yes there have been a million more this one though the authenticity, the originality of it, the dedicated performances that everybody gives from top to bottom mm-hmm. blew me away. Yeah. Um, it's a beautiful film. Mm-hmm. I, I it's, it's easily in the running for one of my favorites of the year. And, and I think for me, Oh, I'll tell you where it won me over. Okay. Okay. Um, because I, we, you know, we all have different processes, right? I try to shield myself from trailers and pre-movie right. buzz. And I, I, I'm probably successful 67% of the time. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty good at not watching trailers. Okay. For instance, uh, what's the big blockbuster coming this year? Star Wars, I guess is coming. Yeah, this something year. like that. Yeah. I've not seen more than 10 seconds of any footage from that movie. And I, I and have I watched wear, every trailer and every I feature that <laughs> I wear that badge. Uh, wow. and I will, proudly show it when I walk into the theater to see it. Okay. But with that said, I, I have a capacity for these kind of movies and, and we get a, a fair number of them every year. And, and mm-hmm. I appreciate that edge of 17, uh, which would have been the, the, the awesome, you know, it didn't get any Oscar nominations or mm-hmm. awards attention, but there was, there was buzz around it last year. And I, I, I remember watching it with kind of a half cocked eye going, there's so many other better teen movies, right? Why am I going to watch this? And that movie won me over Mm -hmm. as it went on, partly because it had zero, you know, what's to give with its performance with Haley Steinfeld. Um, And and I appreciated it's just willingness to be kind of grimy and dirty Mm -hmm. and ugly. I I liked that because I felt that felt authentic. Um, But here we are with Lady Bird. And I remember sitting there thinking, okay, I love Greta Gerwig. Saoirse Ronan has, has impressed me many, many times. Mm-hmm. I like this cast. I'll read a little bit about it. Okay. Well, right. that sounds all right. But I wasn't one over until we sit down and the movie starts. And there is an argument that happens mm-hmm. after listening to an audio book mm-hmm. on a road trip between mom and daughter. Mm-hmm. 
the audiobook ends. They are crying because they're just so moved emotionally by mm-hmm. it. And as soon as the DV or the CD comes out of the, the, the car stereo, they get into a giant knockdown argument mm-hmm. over something that really has nothing to do with what they listen to. Yep. But has everything to do with the time they spend together. When does that moment happen in the movie? Five minutes. Yeah. Like, I mean, it is right at it's, the front. It's literally the opening scene, if not right after. And mm-hmm. I remember watching that thinking, and it ends in a silly comic way. I mean, right. it, Saoirse Ronan's character gets out of the situation in the most absurd way possible. Uh-huh. However, that being what it is, I remember thinking in that moment, the interaction between Ronan and Laurie Metcalf, who plays her mom, mm-hmm. felt so different and so genuinely real mm-hmm. um, that I was immediately thinking to myself, well, this is going to be something way different. And it instantly becomes something way different. Yes, mm-hmm. there are dozens and dozens and dozens of teen coming-of-age stories. We've seen right. them. We've groaned at them. We've admired a few of them. This movie literally tells its own story in its own way, and it just is going to do what it's going to do. And you can come along Mm -hmm. or you can't, and it doesn't care (laughs) Mm -mm. because it's just going to get you through this one year of this girl named Lady Bird's life. And you're going to see all the things that happen at high school. You're going to see all the things that happen at home. You're going to see all the things that happen when she's not in school or hanging with a boyfriend or she's got a crush on this guy or she's being kind of mean to her friend. You're going to get it all mm-hmm. and you're going to like it or you're not going to like it, but you're going to get it. And then when we're going to, we're done, we're going to go yeah. and you're going to live with it. So let us tell our story and you decide what you want. And I love that. I love yeah. the, the freewheeling, I don't want to say carefree because this movie has its heart on its sleeve. Oh yeah. Every moment it's on screen, but I love the freewheeling nature of it and the sort of, I dare you, I dare you to challenge us on what we're showing you. And and the reason why that works is exactly what you said. It is authentic and it works. And every <laughs> moment it exists. One of the, like speaking of that authenticity, the awkwardness is palpable. Yeah. With all of the characters in these situations that teenagers go through that all of us have gone through at some point or another. Yeah. I was dying in the musical audition scenes. Uh-huh. And when they finally did the musical, like I already said, that was my life. <laughs> Seeing these kids audition for the musical. Shout out to any of my listeners who also grew up in that who have had to hear castle on a cloud 500 <laughs> million times at musical auditions so great yeah and then when they finally do the musical i mean i was almost in tears laughing so hard because i know exactly right <laughs> what that is like and so it spoke to me on a different level not just with the musicals but just right. with that honesty with that this is what this is the story that we are telling like you said this is happening you just happen to be watching it Gerwig's script works. So on the surface level, you get the story of Lady Bird, the mm-hmm. Sir Ronan's character. But there's so many layers to this. So what she does so amazing in writing this script and in directing this movie is you have you have characters all with, with agency and depth, but they get there without needing long subplots. Mm-hmm. There is a storyline. A huge part of this movie is the connection between Lady Bird and her mom. Right. But there's also 
Lady Bird's connection to a best friend, played by Jonah Hill's sister, Beanie Feldstein. Oh, really? Tremendous performance. Oh, nice. I there's, didn't know they were related. Yeah, yeah. There's a there's a there's a boyfriend, mm-hmm. and then there's there's not, and then there's yeah. another boyfriend, and then there's not, mm-hmm. and there's a the, the first boyfriend is Lucas Hedges, mm-hmm. who you might remember from what Manchester by the Sea he was an Oscar nominee, right? And then there's Timothy Chalamet, who plays the second boyfriend, who who also has one of the greatest agents in the business uh, this year. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And you guys will all get to know him and call me by your name soon enough. But mm-hmm. so, but. Even if they're on screen for a few minutes or even if they're – and I'm also thinking about her dad, mm-hmm. played by the great Tracy Letts. All of these characters come together in different ways and they all get depth, whether – all of their minutes are maximized. So Tracy Letts is probably on screen for just a few minutes. Yeah. Total maybe 15. Yeah, yeah. at the most. And he's often – <laughs> there's another big argument that happens and he's playing solitaire on the family computer while mm-hmm. it's happening, which is just brilliant. But, but he, she finds a way to give these people enough to do and enough in the story to where they don't need to be on camera front and center all the time yeah. for you to know who they are, what they're experiencing or how, how they're reacting to things that are going on around them. And there's not a lot of people that come to mind in a, and what I think is a terrific year of movies, there are not a lot of films that jump into my mind that are able to do that with the ease and mm-hmm. the, the ability that she's able to do it here. You know, and the movie, I know one person that we both have interacted with who's a little bit of a, a Facebook troll who, who decided <laughs> they were going to die on a hill for this movie and, and just trash it. Okay. That's fine. Go for it. Right. All of the rest of us who mm-hmm. actually stop and watch the movie we may not love it or enthusiastically embrace it, but there is not a moment in this movie that you can't think about either in your existing life or going back to that age um, where you didn't encounter something awkward, something weird. Exactly. You, you got, you know, a, something in, you know, a crink in your tail and you had to argue with your parents just to show you were right. Even if it mm-hmm. didn't matter, um, you made bad choices trying mm-hmm. to like figure out where you fit in life. All of this exists in like about a 95 to hundred minute movie it all gets time. It all gets worth. Um, it, it all has worth. And it just, this is, I don't want to say a flawless movie. There's no flawless movies, right. but this movie gets so much right that you just don't see what's wrong about it. At least yeah. that's my takeaway. I mean, and the, the things that were, and again, not, not necessarily wrong with it, but the tropes that it has being a coming of age tale comedy. It has those, the tension with the right. best friend, the tension with the boyfriend, the tension with the parents. I get it. It makes sense. It is formulaic. But when that formula works, Mm -hmm. there's nothing wrong with being formulaic. When the things that are happening are similar to the things that would actually happen in real life. Right. And the dramatic tension between the characters that shifts between all of them at different times. Like there are certain movies like this that are formulaic where you know where it is going from the beginning and you just want to get there. You, you're mm. just like, just wrap it up. Come on. Right. With this, the whole time you are so invested in the characters. Right. That you just want to see more of what these characters are going to do and how they get there. Mm-hmm. And not just waiting for them to get there. Yeah. Yeah. It's a movie that when it ended, I was both appreciating that it that it ended how it ends and where it ends up. But I was also sad because I knew... I wasn't going to spend any more time with these people that, mm-hmm. that these characters granted their actors. I mean, you know, fine. <laughs> right. But these characters that I just spent 
way too little time with. Mm -hmm. That's it. It's isolated there. And now there's nothing else. And so there's a bittersweet element to how this movie ends and an appreciation for the sort of the snapshot of, of the elements that we could connect with. Um, even if it's a mother daughter relationship, there are things that I could connect with. You know, I, oh, I, have, yeah. I have, you know, I'm married and I, I have two daughters, 18 and 11. And there are moments that both my 11 year old and my 18 year old that were recreated on screen, mm-hmm. you know, whether they're good or bad or whatever. And it's just, it's just a rewarding experience watching the movie. And and I'm really happy beyond happy that Greta Gerwig is finally getting this attention just mm-hmm. for the, for the work that she's done and that people are finding this movie. I mean, there are, there are enough people hearing about it that want to take their teenage daughters to go see it yeah. or they, or they want to just go find it and figure out what all this buzz is about. And yeah, it's an R-rated movie. There's mm-hmm. there's there's some stuff in here that that maybe more conservative leaning families are going to go. Oh, I don't need to see that in my movies, right? And that's fine. There's there's a more than enough jabs at organized religion. One in speci- one specifically, yes, <laughs> that will rub some people the wrong way. Mm-hmm. But all the movie wants to do is just tell you its story. So mm-hmm. if you can just let it do that. I defy anyone to tell me that there's not something in this movie that speaks to them mm-hmm. that they can relate to or that they can connect with. Yep. No, I, I totally agree. Uh, trying to think of any other notes, uh, real big fish and Dave Matthews band <laughs> on the soundtrack. Okay. Um, <laughs> again, you got me laughing and I coughed while I laugh. <laughs> again, the things that happen in this movie that I connected to, I went to a Jesuit high school for for a couple years. Yeah. The characters in this go to a Catholic high school. The music that they're listening to is also <laughs> similar. Like I just I think again that was why this hit me so much differently than a lot of these other ones. Dave Matthews band. Man, nothing a bunch of Catholic kids love more than Dave Matthews band. <laughs> and it it was just rough. You, now you like Crash into Me, don't you? Nope. Nope. I listened to that. It fits so perfectly oh. in this movie though. And it does. Yeah. Uh, Under the Table and Dreaming was that album. Yeah. I, I listened to that album beginning to end way more times than I needed to because that was what all of my friends were listening to. Yeah. Ridiculous. Uh, but yeah, so it just, it spoke to me regardless of, yeah, mother-daughter relationship, father-son. The, you, you know right. what these conversations are like. You know what those experiences are like. This movie was just, it was incredible. Yeah. Absolutely incredible. Yeah. No, I'm... I'm a massive, massive fan of it. And it's, um, it's, it's again, it's a movie that again, acknowledging that it's, you know, got some, you know, it's rated R and it's got some swearing and mm-hmm. sexual content and it's, you know, people don't always treat each other nice sometimes. Right. It is a movie that I by and large just want to show as many people as yep. I can. Totally agree. I love it. Uh, so <laughs> with that said, what is your rating for this? <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, it's kind of ugly. No, it's, it's whatever you have on this scale that, that, uh, is above good. So Mm, that would be good. Yeah. Let's go with good. All right. Fantastic. Uh, yeah, with me, absolutely give it a good. It was tremendous. It was authentic. It was believable. It was relatable. It was everything that my friends who relate to romantic comedies and to coming of age tales that they kind of fall on their sword for, and they love that genre. Yeah this is one of those things where I get it. Like this yeah. one makes sense. This one made me feel the feels 
So yeah, Lady Bird crushed it. Greta Gerwig. Yeah. Awesome. All the way to Oscar folks. Let's, let's, let's see if we can get there. As it, it's an indie film, similar to Moonlight, same company from last year. 24. That's a right. small budget studio in general mm-hmm. has a really good chance of, which that would be amazing not to go on an Oscar tangent. It's the but, year of the woman. I mean, and I don't mean to disparage its chances by saying it's the year of the woman. That's why mm-hmm. it's going. Uh, look, there is nothing wrong with uh, there's still a couple things I still need to see before the year is up. But mm-hmm. We've pretty much seen the slate and there's not going to be anything wrong. If, if this Academy decides to go with lady bird as the best picture winner and you've got Greta Gerwig standing up there, that would be pretty nothing, tremendous. Nothing wrong with that at all. Nice. Cool. Uh, going from one powerful woman or one kind of unknown strong woman to a, yes. to a powerful woman. Uh, the Post. Are you talking about Catherine Graham by chance? Uh, starring, you know, a woman who she's just kind of getting in the game. I think she has a good oh, chance. Oh, yeah. We're, uh, we're talking about the actress. Ma- the Meryl Strap. Mar- Mar- yeah. No, I think it's a double E. So I think that's Mar- Meryl Streep. Streep. All right. Yeah. This young up and comer, Meryl Streep yeah. in The Post. Tell me all about it, Mike. The Post <laughs> is directed by a scrappy young buck named Steven Spielberg. <laughs> right. Um, this Tom Hanks guy also, I, I feel like he is going places. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's uh, He's been in some things. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. All right. Streep, Hanks, Spielberg, The Post. <laughs> yeah. Here we go. Catherine Graham, played by Meryl Streep, is mm-hmm. the first female publisher of a major American newspaper, The Washington Post. Mm-hmm. So with the help of her editor, Ben Bradley, it's Thomas Hanks, right. be scoring at home, she races to catch up with the New York Times to expose a massive cover-up of government secrets that spans three decades and four American presidents. Together, they must overcome their differences as they risk their careers, their freedom, and their livelihoods to help bring long-buried truths to light. Mm-hmm. This is The Post. And then I'll show the Oscar clip. Right. I was like, yeah, that sounds totally natural. <laughs> that was off the cuff. Uh, good job, yeah. Yes. So because this was something that obviously happened before my generation, I know of some of what this story was. Right. And this was pre-Watergate by yes. months you know, or weeks almost, it seems like in the Yeah, the, in movie, the movie fudges the timeline slightly. But yeah, you're right. I mean, it's, it's on the cusp of it. Yeah, yeah we, we the, kind of went from... One scandal mm-hmm. kind of cradling into the next one. Yeah. Gotcha. So not that I was around. I was going to say you were not, a, but this, this was closer time-wise too. So with the post, mm-hmm. with this whole kind of government, uh, not conspiracy. Well, yeah, well, it is. Yeah, I mean, government's conspiracy. basically the, the synopsis leaves a blank, but it's, I think in the trailer, you, you understand it's, it's about Vietnam and it's about mm-hmm. all the conflicts that um, were going on in in the region there for, for decades and how the, the United States government and, you know, through the leadership of, of, of um, military leaders and the presidents that we had at the time decided that we had better interests over there than what was happening. And so we mm-hmm. were going to just kind of gloss over and cover up all of this stuff that all the unrest and all of the things that were going on there. Plus we had our hands involved over there and things. And so right. <laughs> we didn't necessarily want the people to know about that. So we're just going to kind of cover it up and Oh, by the way, look out, this thing is descending into a war and we're going to get into the war. Mm-hmm. But why are we getting into the war? We don't really know. People are kind of like supportive of the war until they're not. And then a guy named Daniel Ellsberg shows up mm-hmm. and 
kind of leaks the Pentagon Papers, and suddenly now we're in chaos trying to understand why we're in Vietnam, why we're losing tens of thousands of soldiers. And, and what why the, nobody what seems is, to care. <laughs> and what the hell is going on? Why are mm -hmm. we? Yeah. And, and essentially, all of that lands in the, in the, at the feet, the lap, the desk of Catherine Graham, who's mm -hmm. just taken over the Washington Post after her husband's suicide, and she's the only female really of any leadership in the press in the nation as far as I think the movie explores. Yeah, because so. the, the timeline of this, what was interesting is, first of all, Meryl Streep, she could do a commercial for Subaru and get nominated for an Academy Award. However, if, 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 okay, we're just going to, we're just going to hit this head on. Uh huh. She has been nominated what, 19 times. <laughs> this is likely going to be a 20th. A hundred percent. Yeah. But mm -hmm. if we want to look back at some of the performances that she's been nominated for mm -hmm. and just kind of slant an eye and go, really? Mm -hmm. You can't, I can't say that about this performance. Oh, no, no. If she gets nominated here, absolutely deserves it. She sure. is incredible here. Well, and what I, you know, and how that was tying into the, the timeline and the time period yeah. that this takes place in. Seeing Meryl Streep, who all of us know, respect, love, adore, whatever, in this role where she gets talked over, she gets interrupted multiple times, mm -hmm. and you see and you believe her struggle of trying to get past that and trying to be like, I should be speaking up. This is my company. But the time period that it takes place in, watching Meryl Streep be demure and watching her kind of get walked over until maybe the second act, you know, beginning of the third act. Right. And to believe it was incredible John, because Meryl Streep could take over anything. John, how about the scene where she walks into the boardroom in the movies for the first time? It's mm -hmm. one of the first times yep. as the new publisher of the, the Washington Post. And she looks around the room and there's 25 men sitting in that room. Mm -hmm. Old white guys. <clears throat> Old white guys. And she not only is expected to be the leader of that meeting, mm -hmm. but she has to. So when have we seen Meryl Streep walk into any scene of any movie of recent memory and look trepidatious, yep. look anxious, try to find strength, but then have to turn to, I think Tom Hanks is next to her at that board. Uh, no, it was, um, it's not Tom Hanks. It's the, the, one of the, uh, I forget. But yeah. It, uh, you're right. But she's walking in with somebody and mm -hmm. she has to like turn to them and say, and, and she, she can't, she, she clams up. It's not the action. It's the way she depicts the action. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. it's the fact that we're, we know Meryl Streep. We know her as good as we've never known any actor, any actress ever. And in that moment she goes away and yeah. she is a, a woman overwhelmed, scared, trying to find confidence, but completely out of her, out of her element and angry at herself that she's out of her element, yep. but also recognizing like, this is not a place that they want me to be right now. And I don't know how to get out of the situation. And, and you it's see, all captured yeah. in like 30 seconds. Yeah, you see all of that when who does that? When, it's amazing. When the, the guy next to her, one of the other people from the paper, you know, helps. He recognizes that she is not going to be able to deliver this speech. That they have been working right. on and working on. He starts delivering it and going over the numbers and just, you see her break mm -hmm. and you see her just, she starts to be strong and sit there at the board table, yep. but you see her being like, this was my moment and I failed. Yep. And this is Meryl Streep. Like, I mean, it was a just dominating performance. Uh, 
Tom Hanks, again, kind of going back to what I was talking about with Margot Robbie. Yeah. When you are in the bullpen with some of these grizzled old reporters, uh, David Cross, <laughs> Bob Odenkirk were great. I loved seeing a little yeah, like the, Mr. Show reunion. Uh, thank you for mentioning that. Um, I feel like Odenkirk has had a pretty, you know, Cross has done things, but I feel like Odenkirk was like, hey, Steven. So David's kind of freak. <laughs> right. I mean, he's got a little... You know, he, has some, you know, he has some time. Yeah. Can we, you know, he'll fluff up, whatever you need. Just mm-hmm. can we give him some hair and bring him in? Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. David, you're in. Come on. Come on. So <laughs> seeing those two with yeah. the comb overs, just looking a little bit shabby. And then you have Tom Hanks. Yeah. He had the voice of those old bullpen reporters who were just like, well, we need to make that. We need to do this, this. Right. He had the presence of it. He just looked too pretty. Like, oh, he, he did not look. The part, he sounded the part, he yeah. acted the part, he did not really look the part like David Cross and Bob. These guys who have yeah. been on the beat for decades. He, to be know? fair, so he is he is a he is a high salaried editor, so mm-hmm. he kind of is in a different financial demographic. So he can, yeah. might carry himself. But yeah, I see what you're saying. He just I mean so he reporters he are seldom off. pretty. Look, I, I know a couple people <laughs> that work not on television or mm-hmm. but a couple people that are just like doing the grunt work in the newsroom for other higher profile people and you know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it, that that was maybe my only thing. Yeah. Uh, speaking to journalists and people in the business. Yeah. Some of my best friends, you know, are are, are in the business. Sure. This movie is tailor made for anybody who has actually spent time in a newsroom. Right. Everything like every scene that takes place there, the conversation that they have, like this is journalism 101. Right. As far as like this, this should be shown in journalism school. Oh, it probably will be at some point. Yeah. I mean, it just everything they had to do from the top and the bottom is great. Uh, I know Ryan file who is listening to this. He will totally dig this. And just so many other of my friends, because it really captures what it is like to be in that newsroom, even in a time period where you had no idea, but watching everybody bust out typewriters yeah. to get these stories done right. was just awesome. And the printing blocks where they're mm-hmm. you know, the old printing press and they're, they're basically the story is being finished at, while they are building the, like yeah. the, the blocks to go into the printing press. And they're, mm-hmm. there's, there's, um, you know, Spielberg pulled this together really quickly. That's um, what I heard. <laughs> and, and, you know, you look at it and there's, there's a lot of elements of it that, um, <clears throat> it's set in the, you know, the early seventies mm-hmm. with a, with a president that has polarized the electorate and there are scandals seemingly popping up here, there, everywhere, mm-hmm. um, with an overarching one with the Vietnam war, but there's other things that are starting to make the news that people are like, what, what, what's happening actually? What do we, and look, it's not lost on anybody that has any awareness of the world that this movie in, you know, the early seventies has way too many parallels to the world we live in now in 2017. Right. And Spielberg for the most part does a nice job of of not hitting that too hard on the nose. There's a couple moments in the movie where you just go, Oh, Steven, you couldn't help yourself. <laughs> like I, I get it. I get it. You're a liberal, you know, you're speaking to the crowd. I, sure. I get it. But you know, we, we didn't, we didn't need the, we didn't need Meryl Streep walking through a crowd of women applauding her. You know, I mean, there's a couple uh, moments the, where, the, the, yeah, there, there are a little bit of cringeworthy things where she comes down the steps and there are some women protesters who are looking at her as this beacon of hope. One of the women in this crowd, she slowly starts like put up a power fist 
Yeah. I just wanted to put my hand on that and just like, Shh, <laughs> no. Yeah. It yeah. just, it got, a, yeah. So acknowledging a couple of moments that hit you squarely in the face. Um, there's so much to take away from this though, about as, as the other on the moment knows uh, on the moment uh, on the nose, whatever I'm trying to say, a speech says where, <laughs> you know, the power of the press when she, what is it? Um, I think it's Carrie Coon's character, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, uh, and the newsroom reads the 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 court verdict word mm-hmm. for word, and it's just about when the camera slowly pans up to her. Yeah, and yeah. it's all about the power of the press, and you're just like, oh, Stephen. But then again, like, but it's Steven true. Spielberg, he know like he knows how to tell a story. He knows how to shoot yeah. a story. He this is masterful filmmaking. It is like yeah. this. This should be shown in journalism classes. This should be shown in filmmaking classes. Yeah. This is a master class in just classic technique. He shot on 35 millimeter for a lot of this. Like that. I mean. (laughs) Yeah. And, and the acting is top notch beyond Streep and, and, and Hanks for the most part. And the cast, the supporting cast, the ensemble is brilliant. And this movie just crackles with energy. And Mm -hmm. you would think Streep and Hanks and it's a seventies and it's a journalistic movie. I mean, you're just kind of like going, Oh, it's hard to get up for this. Right. <laughs> and then you just fall into the rhythm and the cadence of it. And it works really well. It's efficient filmmaking and it mm-hmm. doesn't waste a lot of time. Um, and it, the, there's a fair comparison. I mean, there's kind of a nod and a wink to all the president's men, which we kind of had with spotlight a couple years mm-hmm. ago. And, and, and you this know, lead uh, a scene in this movie leads directly it could, into it. It could just literally allow you to just segue right into Yeah. Yeah. Um, but in a time where, you know, you have friends that are journalists and, mm-hmm. and, and, and I, I'm fortunate enough to have a couple as well. And, and it's a, it's a tough time. Yeah. You know, and newspapers, you know, we want to believe that they're coming back, but I, it's hard to say that they will. I mean, yeah. just the way the world is working and the way everything is moving. And so you've got people, trying to to stick to that craft that they believe in that they went to school for that they put themselves in deep student loans to like mm-hmm. have the dream to become a journalist and here's a movie that that allows them to experience the feeling that you know what they're doing is still good and has value and is important right um in a time when there's a lot of efforts to to drive that away mm-hmm. um and so the post is 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 excellent for that um and i <laughs> excuse me i'm choked up talking about it um i find it i find it re- really great i i appreciate that it exists and mm-hmm. i can acknowledge a guy like spielberg who's given us so much to enjoy you know kind of giving us the fatherly speeches about like oh, what's yeah. important in life I, c- I can accept a couple of those moments when i've got streep disappearing somehow yet again in another role yep. and and hank's kind of guiding us along and odenkirk bob odenkirk amazing terrific yeah yeah and um you know fat david cross i love it so we'll take it <laughs> pretty much um but no it, the post is great and it's it's gonna play well with your parents and mm-hmm. uh oh yeah and it's it's uh it's worthy it's it's a good movie it's really yeah. just good and this was one where because i did not know much about the story it was successful in my eyes because when when it got out i wanted to know more mm-hmm. i wanted to look up those interviews that you like Dave Walter Cronkite, you know, you see him on yeah. TV. I wanted to look that up. I wanted to get the real story behind a story that I did not really know much about. And so that was big to me. And there's a character who is 
more pronounced in the beginning of the movie. It kind of steps away as, as we learn more about Meryl Streep and Tom Hanks and their relationship and trying to get this story out there. But Daniel Ellsberg, there's a documentary, mm-hmm. has a really long title, but it's essentially called Daniel Ellsberg and the Pentagon Papers. Oh, really? It's really great. Okay. And I would recommend you watching it, um, anybody out there interested. And it does do a nice job as to who this kind of guy is that became a whistleblower um, just trying to get words in front of people, just trying to mm-hmm. get information that he may or may not have illicitly attained, but recognizing what, what was there, um, trying to get that scene and, yeah. and the fight that he made to try to get this stuff out there. So it's, it's, there's a lot of content here to dive into. So nice. Cool. Official rating. Good. Fantastic. Uh, I give it a good as well. It will play well. Like Mike said to the people who lived through it, I think yeah. we'll get a total appreciation, a deeper appreciation for it for someone who, like me, did not really know anything about it in the Pentagon Papers. It made me want to learn more. So, But a warning, when you go home to visit your parents, not you, but just in general, right. when you go home to visit the, the parents over, over holiday break, mm-hmm. you're probably going to get dragged to go see this movie. So just prepare. Yep. And it's much. good. It's good. Mom and dad are going to take you to this and you're going <laughs> to like it. <laughs> or else. Yeah. Cool. And, then, and then just jump into Lady Bird when you're done. Oh, there you go. Uh, all right. So two goods. For the post. Mm-hmm. Uh, next one is the only one that is actually going to be in theaters this weekend. <laughs> oh, good. I'm glad we covered this one. Though. Yeah. Uh, this is a film that I have been looking forward to for most of the year. Yeah. This is on my list of most highly anticipated films of the year. The return of Guillermo del Toro as a director. Yes. He has done some smaller projects. Uh, for a few years, it seemed like it was Gamble del Toro presents mm-hmm. a random garbage movie that somebody <laughs> was like, hey, can I get some money and you can slap your name on it? And he was like, yeah, sure, whatever. Yeah. This is the return of Gamble del Toro. The movie is The Shape of Water. Uh-huh. Starring Octavia Spencer or Octavia Butler. Spencer. Good author. No, Octavia Spencer. Octavia Spencer. I was thinking of Octavia Butler, who is also the author. Kindred. Yeah. Anyway. That's good. Uh, Gamble del Toro. Sally Hawkins. Sally Hawkins is the lead. Yeah. Yes. Michael Shannon, Michael Stuhlbarg, uh, yeah, <laughs> Richard Richard Jenkins, oh, uh, Michael yeah. Stuhlbarg, yeah, great cast. The movie is basically another one of Guillermo del Toro's brutal fairy tales of mm-hmm. a creature that then needs to not needs to find but finds humanity due to the kindness of others. Yes. What I will say about this is people have been wanting del Toro to get back to Pan's Labyrinth. That, which is a brilliant movie in my Hands Labyrinth is phenomenal. Yeah. So full disclosure, this is not that to me. This is mm-hmm. not at that level. I'm not sure what will be. Uh, the Hellboy movies, even though they're a little bit problematic for me being a comic book fan, the visual scope and language of those films was at least similar to Pan's Labyrinth. Mm-hmm. This one has one fantastical creature in the real world, and that is about it. $20 million budget. Okay, that is impressive. So, yeah. <laughs> he's 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 gone almost in another direction where he was headed, right? I mm-hmm. mean, I don't know what Pan's Labyrinth cost. I'm sure A it lot. was. Yeah. So, <laughs> but I mean, he's dabbled now in the, 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 the big budget stuff. Mm-hmm. And now he's back to like, let's streamline this and let's, let's get this, let's see what we can do with, let's maximize our money. Yeah. So Sally Hawkins plays... Uh, kind of a janitor custodian mm-hmm. um, of a, yeah, of a government facility that it is alluded to houses 
other secret projects. Mm -hmm. We never really doesn't matter. Yeah. Get to see what any of those are, but a, a Gill man basically from universal studios, you know, creature from the black lagoon gets brought in. Mm -hmm. She develops feelings for the creature. They start feeling developing feelings with each other all while Michael Shannon as just this brutal, (laughs) sadistic, kind of government not even liaison uh what would you he's handler government handler yeah he I was guess. one that found and procured this creature and the movie from ma- south america so i saw the movie a while ago so mm-hmm. so i i'm trying to remember i don't think it's said in the movie but you get the sense that he's the guy who brought this this what you, the gill man is how yeah. you describe him mm-hmm. to um to everyone's attention and then maybe had the whole thing taken from him, but they gave him like the token, like, you know, supervisory, supervisory role. role. Like mm-hmm. you can, you can travel with it. You can oversee this, but really it's, it's been taken away from him and he's, he's aware of that and angry about that, mm-hmm. but has to deal with it. So he but takes, has to deal with it. He yes. takes that anger out on the creature itself. The creature in question is played by the incredible Doug Jones. Yeah. I don't know how many times I've talked about him on this podcast, <laughs> but it is a lot. Yeah. Uh, he will be on uh, the about to interview show. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I will say soon. I say that because he is on my wish list. I am one degree of separation from him. Mm. My friend Trip Hope has directed him in a short movie, The Boogies. Like, I know. You know, it's going to happen. I know people around him. It just, I was invited down to LA. We should start a hashtag. Uh Oh, what's uh, Jones on ATR ATI? Uh, AT- yeah, about to oh, interview. Oh, yeah, about interview. Yeah, yeah sorry, Ooh, yes. Jones on ATI. Yeah, let's see if we can, um, let's see if we can get that going. Because yeah, I mean, it. I was invited down to LA for the LA premiere of the Boogies, the film that my friend Trip did. Yeah, and Trip specifically invited me. I was like, Doug's gonna be there. He was like, you can. <laughs> do you wanna? And I was like, I just could not make it down to the premiere. Yeah, so it will happen. But Doug Jones amazing amazing creature performer yes he's kind of the what andy circus does for mocap mm-hmm. doug jones does with with practical effects and practical effects yeah absolutely those two i've talked about it before let's give him a buddy movie Ooh, there you go <laughs> let's have circus do mocap mm-hmm. and and uh and doug jones do the practical effects kind of work and we'll just do a buddy movie with them i would be down with that <laughs> i would be 100 percent down with that these two deserve <clears throat> credit the difference is they are yeah. all they're frequently behind makeup. They're they're behind a mask of one exactly. form or digital or physical right. mask. So during this brutal fairy tale, this love story that starts to develop between Sally Hawkins character uh, Elisa, who who is who is mute, mute mm-hmm. and uh, I mean yeah they don't really go much into it because also this takes place in the I want to say like. 50s 60s like yeah. they never really specifically no, go into don't. it there's a movie drop you into a timeline yeah, yeah there's a movie poster in the background and one of the marquees that because she lives above a theater uh just for like the the strength of solomon or i forget what it was but like yeah. you know the movie took place or aired in like the 60s so so she is just mute so uh, sally hawkins doesn't say a word uh, in the does whole. not 
say a word in the whole movie. Uh, yes, we'll just nice. we'll just nod and wink there. Clever. Uh, and so she kind of does some rudimentary sign language that a lot of like Octavia obviously understands it. Richard Jenkins, her right. neighbor. Um, a performance like that, similar to Benny Safdie in Good Time, mm. playing a person who is either hard of hearing, uh, deaf, mute, whatever it is, convincingly, incredibly challenging. Mm-hmm. And people don't think so. I mean, yeah. by and large, people are like, you know, oh, she just didn't talk. Was, yeah. yeah. But fighting oh, just fighting, playing that, you know, and it's, fighting that urge to not vocalize while in a scene and having to emote and having to drive the scene forward. Incredible. Yeah. So when it, when it feels authentic, we could probably mm-hmm. sit down and point to a lot of like bad movies with people right. just doing this poorly. And, you know, Sally Hawkins, anyone that doesn't know who she is would probably assume, yeah. you know, that that's just, she, she can't talk. I similar, mean, similar to me with Benny Safdie. Yeah. Seeing him in good time. Yeah. So, uh, Octavia is her, is her best friend and coworker and confidant. She was, she was also really good, but it almost veered a little bit too much into the trope of mm-hmm. wise, wise black woman who mm-hmm. helps her friend get out of jams. Like, so right. just some of the things that she said, some of the way the dialogue was structured, it made sense. Yeah. It just, in a movie like this, it was just, it was almost a little bit, it was just close to being a trope. Uh, this movie is a love story. Mm-hmm. This is not maybe what I thought it was going to be when I first saw it. You know, if you're going into this thinking it will be that fairy tale in fantastical places or lands or whatever it might be, it is not that. But the passion and the love story that it tells is also equally important. Mm -hmm. Some of the ways that it gets to the love story and some of the things that happen because of that are odd and do not quite make logistical sense. Uh, But it is a fantasy. Yeah. Michael Shannon is brutal. Mm -hmm. He is one of those characters where his physical presence is so imposing (laughs) Yeah, that, yeah, he's um. Oof. We don't appreciate Michael Shannon enough, and I say that knowing that he has a rabid fan base of people that are kind of coalescing behind him every time he's in something. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's he's the type of performer nowadays that when you see him, you can't not look at him. Yeah, you know, absolutely. he commands your attention. Mm-hmm. But yet, it's it's one of those one of those performances and that type of thing where he commands your attention, but he doesn't take you away from what's happening around him. It's just, you know, so he's never a distraction. Um, We can talk about whether or not his character as written is fully effective or not, because Mm -hmm. that's kind of where I might be going with, with the conversation, but by and large, Shannon is just, he's stunning often, but certainly here, you know, because he's, he's just this force that, that, you just can't avoid. Mm-hmm. And that becomes true, not only for us as a viewer initially, but then, <clears throat> excuse me, increasingly with, with Sally Hawkins and, and the beast and even Richard Jenkins, who plays Sally Hawkins father, 
they're all going to get Is it. that her father? Or not a father. Um, like mentor, mentor. See, friend. See, I saw the movie like two two months ago. Yeah, so. this is one. So full disclosure to the listeners. Remember I back, said father, but no, you're a, right. A few, a few episodes wrong. ago when I was like, I saw some movies that I cannot talk about for weeks. Yeah, this was one of them. Yeah. We saw this like November 3rd. Yeah, like, it was a mid-December, long, so six yeah. weeks ago. Yeah, and I um, so I apologize. That that isn't I believe incorrect what I just said, but nevertheless, a father figure. Yes. Um, and so all of these people are going to be affected and more by by Michael Shannon's character, mm-hmm. and we know it's coming, but they don't know it's coming, yep. and so you know you just sit there and you cringe and you go, oh no, when is that? See, oh here it is. Now they're gonna. Oh gosh, we're here. Mm-hmm. And it just, it's, it's menacing stuff. Yeah. Uh, the creature design work phenomenal. Yeah. Uh, again, not just with Doug Jones, but the makeup department, I forgot to look up who was the main person. Absolutely incredible. Mm-hmm. Flawless. Again, this could be one of the movies that it will win technical Oscars the day before the Oscars. <laughs> I just, yeah, I mean, costuming because what is that what doug jones is wearing or is it more of an effect like it yeah, is I tough don't, i don't um, know i mean i that's that's what those guilds will those yeah. branches of the academy will look at and what the guilds that sort of give out their own awards you know regardless of the academy you know they'll decide on all that stuff mm-hmm. i here's here's what i like about the shape of water i like that it takes you away from anything else and it just puts you into this world mm-hmm. and it makes the idea that this gill man, this creature uh, is sentient and can exist yeah, um, and have feelings that can resemble love feels real. Mm-hmm. And a, a lot of that is a testament to Doug Jones, but really it's, it's a lot of it is, is a testament to Sally Hawkins, who's been a terrific actress for a really long time mm-hmm. and has given Academy Award nominated nominee worthy types of performances and they've looked elsewhere. Mm-hmm. My guess is this year they won't. I'm assuming she's going to get a nomination and it's deserved. Yeah. She's yeah. She's her own unique creation in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> there there's quirks about her that she keeps hidden from people that we get to see. Mm-hmm. Octavia Spencer probably has no idea. Some of the things that Sally Hawkins does when she's home alone that we get within the first five minutes of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. And again, um, repeatedly. And yeah. 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 And I also really appreciate, actually it's kind of true with a lot of the movies we've talked about. I really appreciate the lack of judgment that mm. is in this movie. You throw this premise with a few more details than maybe we're comfortable giving here um, to somebody, and they're going to just probably, a fair number of people would go, what? Why would yeah. I watch that? Mm-hmm. But in the cadence, and I, I use that word again, in the cadence in, of this movie, it, it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like, you 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 strip away any of that sort of like, she's going to fall in love with a fish guy. Like, you right. that falls away when you start to see how they interact how Sally Hawkins, the the character she creates, where she fits into this world, what's starting to sort of enclose around them, mm-hmm. it all start, it, it 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 just exists, and it doesn't it doesn't judge anybody's decisions or what's involved in any of this. Um, and I appreciate it for that. Yeah. Now, if I flip the coin, mm-hmm. <laughs> there's some problems with this movie, and, yeah. and I do know that it's you know there's there's 
pieces written about this could have double digit Oscar nominations and a look, Oof. I'll, I'll establish this technically below the line. It does everything. I mean, it's brilliant mm-hmm. execution. Del Toro doesn't make his movies are never bad in no. terms of, of the, of how they look, mm-hmm. you know, this is true here. Everything is perfect from from just the production design of like the lab and then mm-hmm. that they work in and then just the, the clothing is authentic and then the, his just, his visual style it's is ever ever present in yeah. all of his projects. The problem with this movie for me is I remember sitting there watching it, wanting it to hook me more than it an admiration. Mm. Okay. And I never yep. got emotionally invested in it. I was mm. able to admire it mm-hmm. and I and I and I've, I've obviously given it some really great compliments and I, I stand by those, but I was never so seduced into the story to where I felt a part of it. I felt that I was watching okay. it. I felt uh-huh. that I was, I was, I was, I was sort of standing over it, watching it play out before me. <laughs> right. Like I was in the upper bowl of a, of, of an opera house watching mm-hmm. something go on stage, but I wasn't close enough to feel fully invested in it. I was just kind of like, Oh, this is really great. So there's an arm's length with this movie for me that I that I hope to see it again and and try to to you know chop that down. I want to get mm-hmm. closer to it and I want to I want to feel some of the romanticism that's on screen personally and I didn't happen. Gotcha. Um and I think it's just and I have loved Del Toro's work before. Mm-hmm. Pan's Labyrinth as I said, you know, I nodded and and we I think I acknowledge is one of the the best movies of that decade. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm for sure. I will stand behind that movie for anybody who tells me it's too violent or it's just this or that. It's like, you know, mm-hmm. you're not, you know, you're not seeing what it is. Um, I'm not sure what exactly I'm, I'm experiencing here other than I, I appreciate it. I like it. Mm-hmm. I like what it's doing, but I couldn't find any love for it. Okay. So, um, I'll jump the gun and, you know, I'll, on your scale, mm-hmm. it's a good movie. Okay. But do I love it? Ah, not yet. And it may take a few viewings for me to, to get there. Okay. But it you can't say it's not well made and it's no. not well acted. It's it's just for me it's it's missing something and and I can't quite establish what it is yet. That is valid. Uh one of the other components that I really liked was the music. The score for this. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It very much reminded me, and I had to pull it up to see if it was true, but I did not see him in the credits. It reminded me of Jan Tiersen. Mm. who did the soundtrack for Amelie, uh, Goodbye Lenin, and a bunch of other stuff. Very, very similar. But this one is another French uh, composer, Alexander Desplat. Oh, yeah. uh, Who has something like 135 composer credits to his name. Yeah. He knows what he's doing. (laughs) Yeah. He's probably scored your favorite movie or the one sitting next to it on the shelf. Yeah. Yeah. So the score (laughs) is incredible. Uh, I agree with you. Those are some of my problems also that... It was a beautiful film that was still not engaging me as much as I wanted, needed, desired right. from it. Uh, but yeah, phenomenal performances. The visual language is incredible. Technically, very, very impressive, especially the lower budget, which you can, I mean, if you think about it, they have four or five set pieces. Yeah, you know? it's 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 managed well. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's, he's, he's ratcheted down quite a bit as to, I mean, a movie like this could go a lot of places. Oh yeah. And he's really locked the time, uh, the, the, the scenes down to just, like you said, a few locations we have, we know, Mm -hmm. you know, 
roughly the proximity between this place to that place and where we're going with things. Yep. Yeah. Nice. Uh, my official rating of course is good. Yeah. Really enjoyed it. I, I definitely will watch it again when we have the opportunity to do that. Yeah. So definitely cool. Uh, it is now the point of the show where I'm going to go into the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got to step into the future and talk about a movie that currently I have not seen in the studio. Right. But Tim and I are going to talk about it uh, in the future. And then I'm going to return to the past. Mm -hmm. So uh, hold on real quick while I adjust the time machine. Okay. And uh, let let me do that real quick. It's getting dark in here. Is it supposed to happen? uh, Yeah, it is fine. It it is fine. I will be be right back. But for right now, uh, Tim and I are going to talk about a movie in the future. Bye. (laughs) All right. Joining me from the future which is the episode's past or some other convoluted scenario. Joining the show right now via uh, Skype is the one and only Tim Hall, a.k.a. The People's Critic. Welcome What's back. What's up, man? It's good to be back. How are you doing? <laughs> uh, doing well. There, This episode is crazy long, and this review... Why, that... <laughs> why, wait a minute. Why, why are your episodes so long? Okay, this episode is especially long because we talked about a total, including... The movie that you and I are just about to talk about, Star Wars: The Last Jedi. We talked about seven movies, uh, because it is award season, and we wanted to make sure that people kind of knew what was out there. You know, you didn't have to talk about seven movies, right? Anyway, <laughs> so Tim is joining me because we're going to talk about Star Wars: The Last Jedi, which we have already seen. Which by the time this episode airs, the embargo is already up, and it hits theaters. Uh, when you're listening to this on Wednesday, it hits theaters tomorrow, Thursday. You can get tickets for a Thursday night screening at 7 o'clock in most most cities. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which, again, you and I have talked about it before. This Thursday night opening thing is still kind of weird, even though they have now been doing it for a while. I mean, I'm used to it now at this point. I mean, I, I don't really do much of them now. I used to do midnight screenings back in the day. Mm-hmm. Like a bunch of midnight screenings, uh, but you know, it's fine. I get, I get that they're trying to like get as much out of the box office as they can and say, look at our opening weekend numbers. Mm-hmm. I get it. So you know, it is what it is. <laughs> you know, but Star Wars isn't a movie. I think that that you know, I think it's not a movie that necessarily tries to bleed out everyone. I think it's no. helpful for fans of the movie because it gives them an opportunity to see it early, and it means less crowded theaters on the weekends. For sure. So all right, how about we just get right into it? So this is yeah. episode eight of of the Star Wars uh, connected films. I will say of kind of the legacy films. So the, off the Skywalker story. Yes, the Skywalker legacy films. Now coming off of the Force Awakens, what were some things that you were looking for in Star Wars: The Last Jedi? Um, uh, I was looking forward to see what what Ray's story was going to be next. Her connection to Luke. I wanted to see what Finn's journey was. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as someone who loves Star Wars, I've always appreciated the different worlds they're on. I've always appreciated the different creatures that you see. So I was looking for more of that. And I, I, I'm a fan of Kylo Ren, so I want to see what he was up to. Yeah. I mean, that is the thing that this story and these characters, even though we started getting introduced to a lot more characters in The Force Awakens and not just the legacy characters when the characters felt real and they felt fleshed out and it made you interested in their storylines and not just Luke and Leia, I think that was a huge success with force awakens. And that shines through in the last Jedi to the point where they even add 
more characters and we still get invested in them within a very short amount of time. The main person, of course, that I am speaking of to me, like me personally, that I thought was incredible uh, was Rose. So in the new movie, in the new movie, yeah, Rose Tico played by Kelly Marie Tran. She crushed it. She was so good in this. And that was something that, again, this speaks to the diversity in casting in these movies where, guess what, folks, in this futuristic, possibly or a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, not only are there creatures of different sizes, shapes, colors, there are humanoids of sizes, shapes, and colors. That is a tremendous uh, thing that this series has going for it that continued in this film. What did you think about that? Oh, I, I mean, I'm not really surprised. It's kind of the direction we've seen with Disney's properties in general over the last few years, whether it be, you know, upcoming Black Panther, whether it be, you know, Force Awakens, Disney Pixar with Coco, Moana. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just the direction they're headed, even like the, the, the new Lion King they're doing and the, they're redoing Mulan live action. They're right. doing Aladdin. I think they've, they've realized, and smartly so, that, you know, the world... Uh, it looks very colorful and so if we put colorful people in our movies it will reflect the world that they see and people will come to our movies so mm-hmm. it didn't surprise me that, that that the last jedi was as diverse as it was because that's sort of been the track that they've been on and other studios just really haven't caught up yet yeah one thing that definitely caught me off guard speaking of surprises this movie was way more funny than i thought it was going to be really yeah, the, the, the Force Awakens was funny. The Force Awakens was funny, but this has almost slapstick style elements to it that I won't say it took away from the movie, but it was an interesting choice that they made multiple times that Ryan Johnson, the director, made multiple times. So you did not yeah. find that uh, different or unique from The Force Awakens? No, of course, Awakens had stuff like that. They had like a lot of BB-8 stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, him and Finn did a lot of that goofy back and forth. Right. Uh, yeah. So there's a lot. There was some of that in Force Awakens. I think it stands out more in this film now, probably because we know the characters, so we're not trying to get to know anybody, and we're just watching them react to stuff. Uh, right. So it pops out a little more. But no, it did. It didn't seem too much different than the Force Awakens. Okay. So this film, for those people who are kind of wondering where it takes place, this essentially picks up almost right after. The events of The Force Awakens. I mean, the, you know, maybe a couple weeks or a couple months. I never really go into it. But it was real soon after The Force Awakens. And that was nice because, it again, it makes you feel connected to this universe and these characters, even though The Force Awakens came out two years ago. Oh, it, it definitely picks up. It literally picks up right after. Mm-hmm. The Force Awakens ends, ends with that scene with Ray and Luke standing on the mountain in the right. island. And when we pick up with her story, she's there mm-hmm. she's handing him the lightsaber. Yeah. So it I, literally picks up where it ends. I did think it was interesting with, and we will not, you know, of course we will not go into spoilers or anything with Finn, his storyline. Like it seemed like a little bit more time had passed by the time we catch up with those characters that there was not, you know, cause again, we spent some time on, uh, the island or the planet, you know, Octo, you know, for for that time that we were with Ray. When it gets to Finn, 
and what has happened to him and the repercussions that he is dealing with after uh, a, shall we say, confrontation with Kylo Ren in the last movie, in the last couple scenes. So those were, again, like when we first see Finn and that interaction, it was just, it was a lot of comedy and I get it. You know, he is a funny character. Finn is. And it was an interesting way to reintroduce us to his character in this movie after something traumatic, like what happened at the end of the force awakens. So, but it worked The the comedy worked. Now, when it comes to the new, new faces and new places, do you think Wait, we didn't even get we didn't even get into the plot of the movie? Like, what is this? What's happening in this movie? Oh well, okay. I guess we what could, is the plot? I guess we could go into we that. Probably tell people what's happening. So, Ray found Luke at the end of the last movie and envisions him as this beacon of hope for the resistance against the First Order. She thinks that once she finds him, he is going to pick up the lightsaber again and come back into the fight and take on Snoke and General Hux. And what Kylo Ren. She's not, you know, the trailers make it look like she's going to get trained, and that's not really what's happening. Right. She's going to just bring him back. Like her thing is like, hey, let's go. We'll talk about it on the way. Mm-hmm. She's not going to get trained. She's not going to get mentored. Like all that comes out later, and he's like, I'm good. Then right. comes this whole, <laughs> this whole story with her, with her trying to figure out her place in this whole thing, and she literally says, like, I don't know my place in this whole thing. Mm-hmm. So as she tries to figure that out, that leads to sort of this apprenticeship that happens. That then those are the moments you see in the trailer. But her initial thing with him is like, I'm, Leia sent me to come get you. I have this beacon because they're moving in their transport. Mm-hmm. And let's just go. We'll get in the Falcon and we'll talk about it. Yep. <laughs> and yeah, because it does. It does layer in the trailers being like, oh, this is going to be a training montage. They're going to pick it up. Mm, no. Because Luke is. It doesn't play out that way. Right. Not, not immediately because Luke has isolated himself. For a reason, for a very specific reason. And we really grow to understand why he has made those choices because we are thinking still in our heads, those of us who have been growing up with Star Wars our entire lives, oh, Luke Walker, Luke Skywalker is going to come and save the day. To see him be like, nope, I want to stay here, forget the Jedi, forget you, you can leave now. It's not even that he says no. He's he's a broken man. Yeah. You know, when he, when he talks about, you know, he, he tells sort of what happened with him and Ben Solo. He's a broken man. And he's trying to he's he's sort of is broken to the point where he's like, I'm good with everything. Like, I came here to die. I'm not trying to be around any of these people. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm chilling. Like, leave, leave me alone. Uh, he wants nothing to do with whatever's happening. The, the, the darkness, the light, the force, the the whatever the 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 first order Mm -hmm. first order he doesn't care about any of that um and it's why you don't meet your heroes ray's going to meet luke and Mm -hmm. it reminds me of the scene in the force awakens when when she meets han solo and her and finn are trying to figure out what's happening and they all think this this was a myth right she doesn't one knows that this is a real thing so this whole world is realized to her that this is a thing that happened. It's kind of what Han Solo went through in the, in the original trilogy. Like he thought it was all a joke, mm-hmm. and he realized that, that it's real. So she's having sort of that awakening in herself, as well as an actual physical awakening of the Force, <laughs> where she's realized these things are happening. Um, so we so we got that we got that that story. Then you also have uh, Poe Dameron, mm-hmm. Princess Organa, 
got all these people, General Ghana, all these people, the resistance traveling, and they're being tailed by the First Order. Mm-hmm. And they're out of gas. And they can't, they can't, they're being tracked by something, by when they jump, so they can't jump. Mm-hmm. They're just slow. First Order is like, we're just going to wipe you guys around the gas, and then we'll blow you up. Similar and, to, uh, it reminded me of Battlestar Galactica, when every time they would make a jump, they were like, all right, we have X amount of time before we need to jump again. And so that sends Finn and Rose on a side mission to go get a, someone who can break the code mm-hmm. on a Snoke ship. Um, and yeah, so that's kind of the movie. Then you have like, a, you know, Snoke is, has a situation where he's, you know, com- the, com- the, like the worst boss ever. <laughs> right. You know, a little overbearing, there, but, you know. Yeah, you know, he he's pushing Kylo about, you know, finishing this job and like, you know, he, he doesn't think he can do it. And then, you know, you, and you have some inner turmoil on the, within the resistance about what's the right way to go about things. Mm-hmm. Like, how do we, what's the right tactic? So there's, a, you know, some infighting. And, you know, of course, all these things collide at one point in the movie. And that's essentially the film. But it's, you know. Yeah. That's as simple as you can put it without spoiling a bunch of stuff that actually happens in the movie. Exactly. And this is one of those really tough ones. So to talk about non-spoiler things, I want to talk about, like I mentioned before, the new faces and new places. So we finally get to see Snoke. We finally get to yep. see this man behind the curtain. What did you think of that character? And do you feel like the arc of that character made sense? I don't know if he really had an arc. I think he was just, he, he, he plays the big bad, mm-hmm. you know, he's there he's barking orders He's got some personality, which I think we didn't really necessarily see in like the Emperor and other people, mm-hmm. uh, or even in Vader. Like Snoke thinks he's funny. Like he's got right. some little, you know, little jokes here and there. He, uh, you know, he can be petty. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're, you're seeing you're seeing a, a a villain in the Star Wars world who's showing some personality. So I appreciate his character, and he was kind of like, you know, he wasn't freakishly big, but like big enough to be like oddly look odd next to humans. Yes. Uh, yeah, that was, that was an interesting choice. One thing that I was maybe a little bit uh, disappointed with is I wanted a little bit more. I want a little bit more kind of depth and dimension to that character. And you and I are going to talk about this more on next week's episode, so we will not go into too much here. But there were just some things that I, I want a little bit more from that character. But I Snoke. really did, yeah, from Snoke. One of the things that I definitely liked, though, one of... Our favorite actors, Dom Hall Gleason, uh, as General Hux. So in this one, he was always kind of that, like, you know, menacing, but also maybe not so menacing character in The Force Awakens. This one, I was kind of waiting for him to have, like, a tweedly little mustache to just be twirling. Like, he really is playing this up with the scowl on his face the whole time. That took a little getting used to for me what about you i'm fine with it like i thought you know he was just a general in the first movie but this this tells a little bit more about like his relationship with snoke and sort Mm -hmm. of his position in the first order and what he's there to do and i appreciated that and he was fine he was fine for being sort of the slimy general Mm -hmm. who's you know who's sort of caught between snoke and kylo Right, and he's just you know he doesn't have any force powers. He's not into that, but he's you know he's still doing a lot of their dirty work. Mm-hmm. And like the, a little pit bull. 
pretty much. And I mean, so they definitely had some great interactions and he is a fantastic actor. So, I mean, everything worked when there were funny moments with Dom Hall Gleason. It worked. There's a specific moment that is a total spoiler that we will not get into where he has a moment where he could do something that would irrevocably change the universe, the Star Wars universe, and gets interrupted kind of at the last minute, but in a funny way. And I really appreciated that. And I think you know which, think, which moment I, I'm talking yeah, about. <laughs> big, bigger than the actual moment, I think it was true to his character. Oh, yeah, like, for sure. I think that was what that moment is about. It's like, this is true to who this person is. Mm-hmm. If there's an you opportunity know? to change something and maybe not get caught or, you know, kind of get away with it, he, he very well might take that chance. Yeah. Yeah. Not even, I don't even think it's about changing something. I just think he, you know... He's all about he 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 reminds me of Littlefinger, yes, in Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. Who's all about like chaos is the ladder, and I'm going to use this chaos to move up the ranks. I'm going to use what I can to, to sort of get where I need to be. Yeah, and he and he also you can see from his interactions like he feels like he knows more than what he than other people. Mm-hmm. He feels like I have a direction, you know, and that's I think that's the theme for what you see throughout the movie is. I feel like I have a direction about how with, with all the characters. Here's something that I feel like I need to do, and I feel like this is how to do it. And they're learning that there's other ways to do things. For sure. And every storyline in this movie sort of has that theme. Like, hey man, there's, maybe there's a different way of doing this that's different for you. Mm-hmm. You feel like this is the right way to do it because this is how you've always done it. But maybe there's a different way. Maybe there's a different path. What was your initial re- when you when you saw it? What was your initial reaction when it was over? My initial reaction, and and. I liked it. I did not immediately love it. I think, I mean, I plan on seeing it again, probably this weekend. Uh, But when I first kind of came out, it had, it had all the feels, you know, definitely made me, it was a star Wars film through and through. It looked, smelled, tasted like a star Wars film, which is just a credit to the machine that is Disney and star Wars. They know how to respect this property. So I had those feelings, uh, but I did not walk out being like, that was my Star Wars film. What about you? Uh, I, I really enjoyed it. But I think after wa- after watching, it, I remember just thinking like, I, I enjoyed the story. And it's not particularly a quote unquote Star Wars story, the way it's told, mm-hmm. the way things are laid out, the way things progress, the way it's set up, the, the different way the stories go um i think it's it's different for star wars and star wars fans mm-hmm. uh it, different in a good way but there will be some people who don't i don't think immediately love it yeah but because it has all all of the star wars like you know feels and 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 points and you know it's such a from like i remember the opening crawl like they all start the same oh yeah it's got all of that nostalgia wrapped in wrapped mm-hmm. around it that people will still enjoy it but i i thoroughly enjoyed the story and how it was told and the characters and how they move throughout this world and sort of these different things sort of converging. Um, it starts a little slow. I mean, slow for Star Wars standards. Right. Um, but the, the end of it really picks up and they really have some pretty, pretty cool Star Wars moments. Yeah. Oh, this is, and again, this is chock full of Star Wars moments uh, from the color spectrum when they are on uh, the planet with the red sand or actually well, the red kind of, yeah, it is salt, salt on the top and then red sand underneath like again it just there are so many visually striking moments in this film that will go down in star wars 
history. Uh, but I, I think I do need to see it again to see how it will affect me the second time and to see if, yeah, if there, if there's a fluctuation. So my first instinct liked it, did not immediately love it, uh, which leads us to the rating system. So like you have already been listening to with Mike, uh, I will not explain the rating system again because we're in the middle of an episode. So Tim, you know, the drill good. We're, we're right in the middle of the episode. Yeah, this is a uh, this is review like five of six or six of seven. Yeah, something like that. So after after I'm done talking, you guys got to hear Mike again. Yep. Great. <laughs> Great. Oh, it is gonna be Great awesome. Mike. Uh, all right. So good, bad, or ugly? Your first impression of Star Wars: The Last Jedi. What do you give it? Good. It's good. It's a good. It's a good Star Wars movie. People who like Star Wars will watch it and like it and enjoy it and have fun. Mm-hmm. It was good. Brian Johnson, I like the direction he's headed with this franchise. Yeah. Well done. Absolutely. Uh, well done, Ryan Johnson. <laughs> Hopefully he is listening. That would be amazing. Hopefully he's listening, yeah. Uh, cool. I, I also give it a good, even though it is kind of far from perfect. I did have a few problems with it that we'll get into on next week's episode. Uh, we'll talk more about this. With this movie? There, there, was, there were some issues with it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I'm sure you and I will continue to talk about this in text for the next few days nope sorry i cannot talk about it now how do you have well you said problem that's multiple that's more than one thing there is more than one thing (laughs) but with that is it costume design is it it your (laughs) or is it act the stuff you get hung up on like costume designs and accents Uh, is there like is is it one one of those things like i didn't like the accent that he had does somebody have a random italian friend that gets forgotten about uh right where's the italian friend eating food uh, no, it is it is none of those things. Uh, but yeah, my rating is is a solid good. I will be seeing this again. It is a Star Wars film. It brings something new while also giving something different. So cool. All right. Well, that kind of wraps it up for this for this mini review for Star Wars: The Last Jedi. Uh, the rest of the episode you are about to listen to will have other things, and then Tim will be back for next week's episode where we will talk about a ton. of of films on that as well. No, nope, we're not. We're not talking about a ton of films. I, nope, I, I think we might we're be. Not doing it. We're not doing uh, but it. But we will do it in a much shorter time frame. So there thank, you thank you everybody for for powering through this episode. It is a longer one, but next week uh, I will be more disciplined when it comes to time management. So cool, uh, Tim. Real quick, where can people find you online? Find me on the internet easily. Uh, peoplescriticblog.com. You can find me at people's at the People's Critic, C-R-T-I-C, on Twitter. You can find me at People's Critic on Instagram, Snapchat. Yeah, find me out there. I'll be hopping on the podcast next week, talking some stuff. And you can find me on Made in the 80s. I think we're doing a podcast nice. on Die Hard for Christmas. Oh, your favorite. Yes, we're doing Die Hard. For, I don't know when we're recording the episode, but yeah. Okay. We have a whole new recording set up. So I don't know. I haven't seen it yet. So I'll be surprised when I show up. And talk about Die Hard and John McClane, an American hero. <laughs> I totally agree. Awesome. Cool. Thanks, Tim. Uh, I'm going to get back to talking about you to Mike. Oh, great. <laughs> All right. Bye. <laughs> Woo. Okay. So I'm back from my time machine uh, from the future. Yeah. No, that. Man, let me tell you about that movie. It gets lonely in here when you're not here. <laughs> I know. I'm sure, but for you, it probably did not even feel like anything because I just popped out, popped no, back in. No, literally, I blinked and you were gone, and then I rubbed my eyes, and now you're back. Yeah, looking pretty good too. You did the trip did you well? Oh, thank you, thank you. you. Look refreshed. Uh, the movie, man. 
Whoa. Listen to what I just said about that movie. <laughs> Unbelievable. I couldn't believe Tim said what he said. I know. And the things that oh, things that happened and the and the stuff and the Yeah, and, and then that whew. moment when Tim said the thing about the thing that is so Tim. Right. Oh, Tim. Tim. Uh cool. All right. Yeah. So, uh you just listened to the Last Jedi review. Yeah. Uh moving on to the last one that we will discuss on today's episode because this is going to be an incredibly long episode. Uh The Florida Project. Oh, yeah. Is this me? This is you. I'm covering this one. You or are at least, covering at least this uh, one. telling you about it. Okay, uh-huh. hold on a second. Let me. The Florida Project. Oh yes, 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 yes. The Florida Project. Mm-hmm. Sean Baker. Yes. Third film. He made Starlet. Okay. And he made. Um, why am I Tangerine? Wow, yes. How could I forget See, Tangerine? I, I, I guess I, I never saw his first one. I saw Tangerine. Starlet is yeah. Well, listen, we're not talking okay. about Starlet. We're talking right. about Florida Project. Okay. The Florida Project follows six-year-old Mooney, mm-hmm. played by Brooklyn Prince, who I think is nine years old in real life. Yeah. Um, and her rebellious mother, Haley, uh, or Hallie. Uh, Help me. I saw this one a while ago, too. Yeah. Is it Haley? I think it's Haley. I think so. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, follows them over the course of a summer. They live week to week at the Magic Castle, a budget hotel managed by Bobby, played mm-hmm. by Willem Dafoe, who's... Oh, well, okay. Now, this this synopsis is hilarious. I'm getting descriptions <laughs> that are, like, completely slanted and not objective at all. Mm. We'll skip over all of the, like, glowing comments the synopsis supposedly from the studio gives Willem Dafoe because we're trying to just be objective and review course, it on our own course, merits, yeah. right? Uh, despite harsh surroundings, the precocious Mooney has no trouble making each day a celebration of life with endless afternoons overflowing with mischief and grand adventure as she and her ragtag playmates, including new best friend Jancy, mm-hmm. fearlessly explore the unique world into which they've been thrown. Unbeknownst to Mooney, her delicate fantasy world is supported by the toil and sacrifice of her mother, who is forced to explore dangerous possibilities in order to provide a life for her daughter Mm -hmm. the florida project nice for your consideration (laughs) eligible in all applicable categories uh this film so the director sean baker who i who i know from tangerine Mm -hmm. tangerine for those of you who do not know was the first feature-length film filmed entirely on an iphone yep it's more than that but that's it's it's forever how it's going to be known if anyone knows about it so yeah uh so he takes that same sensibility what is funny is like you can actually look at his rig that he had for his iphone yeah it is crazy oh I mean, i'm sure it is yeah. not just like it, it is not some dude just holding an iphone like it has two grips on the side oh, i feel like lighting. i remember this like they, it is it is pretty impressive yeah. yeah 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 uh there's also a special app that he used to get some lighting color correction so right this is that was incredible with the florida project the first thing that struck me the color palette mm-hmm Oh my gosh. Like, I mean, it hits you right at the beginning. Pinks and purples, these pastels that blend with the blue sky. Yeah. I mean, it that was incredible right from the beginning. Right. As the movie went on, this was some of the most, and I wrote it down, it was just organic and authentic filmmaking that I might have seen this year. Mm-hmm. I mean, it has that kind of cinema verite documentary style where these things would be happening anyway. We just happen to bring a film crew here. Everything felt grounded and authentic, even when you take Willem Dafoe, who is the only star 
in this movie. He's yeah, the I only mean, one that anyone else with any <laughs> acting credits in this movie, are, they're going to be one or two. And yeah. there's a number of non-actors in the movie. Certainly true with the kids, but yeah. there's a number of non-actors that are in the movie, which is a Sean Baker trait. I mean, he, mm-hmm. he tries to find real people and drop them into a, I guess, a fictionalized setting. But yeah, and that that blends with the authenticity. I really admire that it exists and, mm-hmm. and I think it's an important movie that is a challenge for some people to watch. Yeah. Because I think this, what this does is it shows you a world that people don't really conceive exists or can imagine exists, which is the fact that quite frankly, in the shadow of Disney world, mm-hmm. there are these motels that people scrape together money to live in and they live there week to week. Yeah. And they, they just don't get, people don't recognize that this exists. They, yeah. they, you know, it's a world that, that is everywhere and nowhere at the same time. Yeah. And so, and, and Baker's movies, Starlet tells the story of a, of a, a girl who goes to LA to become an actress and things go badly. And she ends up befriending a, a elderly woman in her late eighties. And they strike hmm. this weird sort of. Well, it's not a weird friendship, but they they just they strike up a friendship and they both they get to a place where they need each other, but they don't want to admit that they need each other. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. So you've got that in Starlet and you've got um, Tangerine telling this just renegade story of these two transgender prostitutes Mm -hmm. who are who are trying to survive on the hottest day of the well, let's see. It's set in it's around Christmas time, right? Yeah. But it's an inordinately hot day and it's, and they're just, there's so many things they're dealing with that, you know, and Baker just says, you know, let's cover it all, you know, let's, yeah. you know, be who you are and let's cover it all. And mm-hmm. so you get all of these like random conversations and just asides. And what he does though, is he takes you into worlds that you don't know exist. You don't mm-hmm. know the world of, of, of struggling actresses trying to find anyone to listen to them and make a friend. And you don't see the worlds of, of transgender prostitutes authentically depicted on screen. And you Mm -hmm. don't see these worlds of motels and people working two, three jobs or breaking the law, Mm -hmm. trying to find a way to keep, keep themselves moving forward in life. Yeah. Um, And what happens because of that is you have these kids who are, I know there was a script. I know that. I mean, you know, there had to have been. Of course, yeah. But when every conversation felt like we were just watching right. a real, like something that was already happening, that blew me away. Mm-hmm. And it reminds me, I mean, I cover a ton of local independent film festivals. Right. It reminded me of that, but on a larger scale. And that is impressive. Because when you get these kids who are, you know, 10 and under... Yeah. Having these conversations, going on these adventures, and we are watching it happen as if it were actually happening. Like the delivery, everything about it just made sense. Yeah. So that, I mean, that was incredibly impressive. And Willem Dafoe does not overshadow anybody. No. Does not take away from any of the scenes that he is in. But when the movie needs him, Mm -hmm. he's always there. Just like he is for um Mooney's mother. Mm-hmm. Um but in, in the context of the movie as a character, you know, I'm watching this with the with the knowledge that he is often in many circles viewed as a front runner for an Oscar win. 
for best supporting actor. And Which that still it, is weird. Best it, supporting actor. Why not best actor? Well, Who is the other actor? They're, they're, well, it's just his <laughs> character is a supporting character yeah. to the bigger story, right? I get that's it. that's yeah. where we. And so you're watching it. I'm watching it with this knowledge, and I'm just thinking. I don't see it. Where is it? Mm-hmm. And then I realize at a pivotal moment of the movie near the end, it's been there the whole time. Yep. It's this nurturing. I'm going to sort of put up, you know, buffers for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you're not going to realize that I'm doing it. And then when finally uh, Mooney's mom sort of reaches a point of no return on mm-hmm. some of the decisions she's made and the reality of some of her decisions catch up with her mm-hmm. and now it will impact their lives going forward. Willem Dafoe is right there recognizing that he can no longer help her. So he immediately pivots to helping yep. the six year old at the best he can. And it's in that moment that you go, Oh yeah, it's been there the whole time. Mm-hmm. Dafoe has been there the whole time. He has been watching over these two and everybody, cause he manages the whole motel, but right. he's been really focused on these two characters, these two, this mother and daughter, and he's never gotten in the way. He has helped where he can, and now he realizes that despite his best efforts, one has slipped out of his grasp, and now he can try to save another person by just trying to get her in the right place. Mm-hmm. And it's in that moment that his performance soars, and yeah. you realize it's been there the whole time. It's it's a terrific role, written extremely well. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting, you know, this movie... I know a few people that have seen it and it's, I don't know, you know, I don't have the conversation always like, what did you expect this to be? Cause right. it's, you know, you know, I can't believe you don't know Baker by now. You mm-hmm. know, it's like what, you know, nobody knows Sean Baker that goes to like the multiplex, right? right. It's, it's us. And it's a few other folks that, mm-hmm. that know of these other two movies he's made. But that said, I think the thing that, that some people have had problems with, with Florida project is that they don't see the, the, they don't get why it exists. Like they don't understand mm. like, where are you showing me? What am I supposed to take away from this? Right. And I think sometimes we watch movies under the auspices of you need to inform me or entertain me or educate me. Right. You get one of those sort of columns that a mm-hmm. movie has to fit in. Sometimes it's, it's not enough for a lot of people that go to the movies to just be Oh, I don't want to say this. Woke. It's not what I, it's just not what I meant to say. But awaken to yeah. a world that you don't know about that mm-hmm. exists and and that may not be inviting yeah. or comfortable. Mm-hmm. There's nothing comfortable about the Florida Project at all. No. This is a tough world. Mm-hmm. And he does not shy away from showing you. I mean, he does – the movie could go a lot farther than it does with True. some of the content. So I guess there is some restraint there. But – he doesn't shy away from just showing you this stuff. He doesn't shy away from kids under the age of 10 cursing. He doesn't shy away from, um, from Mooney's mother doing really bad things. Mm -hmm. And you question, why are you doing this? Are you doing this because you want to try to provide a better life or are you doing it because you want something personal and Mm -hmm. and you'll be damned what your daughter really thinks? And do you really want to have a daughter? And why did you get pregnant? You know, you start asking all these questions, but you never leave this motel. You never leave this world. And so it's constantly challenging you to think about how you perceive the things you're questioning within yourself. Yeah. And in that regard, there may not be a better movie this year. I don't think it's the best movie of the year, but mm-hmm. I don't know another movie that asks the questions and challenges its audience 
and guides them to a place of introspection than this movie does. I would agree. Uh, I can think of another couple movies that, that try to, yeah, that, that definitely want to guide you places and they want you to feel introspective, but the way in which they go about it is just bad. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I really enjoyed this movie. This might not be one that I go back and watch right away. Yeah. Because it is, it is pretty dense. Uh, at the same time, the film is gorgeous. Uh, the cinematography again, like I talked about yeah. is phenomenal. Uh, well, how, I mean, how about the, 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 the color blasts that you're mm-hmm. referring to, um, existing in a world that, that is just, it's, it's kind of, I don't want to say dismal, but it's not a, it's not a bleak, it's a bleak world. It's <laughs> yeah. a great word. I couldn't find it, Yeah, but you've got again in the shadow. I mean, they literally are in the shadow mm-hmm. of Disney world. When the fireworks go off at Disney world, they can see them from their, um, they can walk down a little bit and see. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah. it's happening right there. They look in the night sky and boom, there's fireworks as mm-hmm. they're sitting in a, a one room motel trying to figure out how they're going to pay rent at the end of the week. Right. So you get that dichotomy, but the colors that exist Mm -hmm. are in contrast to their reality. And it, it, it's funny, like the purple and pink pastel motels. You're like, Mm -hmm. wow, it's a terrible color. Well, that, and even like (laughs) they go to like the ice cream stand and just the way that the things are filmed and just such a stark contrast with, the character's reality right, of being this kind of bleak and dismal life. But then you have these moments of just incredible life right. going on around them. Well, to their credit, I mean, just like a lot of people, and maybe I'm speaking from personal experience, when you grow up without much and that is all you know, yeah, that is it. Like that is your world. You know, you have no base of reference. It is only when you see something else. So like in watching this and seeing that juxtaposition was just tremendous. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't want to talk about the ending. Okay. Cause I don't want to spoil the movie. Okay. But it's interesting seeing the reaction. I guess I am going to talk about the ending, but not in the way you probably think. So the movie has sort of an abrupt conclusion. Very. <laughs> um, and it's interesting to see the reaction that it's generated from people that have seen the movie who, mm-hmm. who they love or hate. The, there's no in between. I would say I, I'm, uh, I'm I, somewhat in between. Only so because that's why I kind of wanted to introduce yeah. it. I'm curious what you thought of it. Um, we've talked a little bit, I think mm-hmm. we, and my thumb here, we texted a little bit about <laughs> right. it, but um, I'm curious what your thoughts are. I mean, I don't want to, if we can talk about it without spoiling it. Cause it's, I mean, yeah, I can talk about it from the technical perspective. Yeah. When there was a transition from, the filmmaking he had been doing back to the iPhone mm-hmm. <clears throat> and an yeah. iPhone that it does not have the fancy stuff that his other one did that feels very organic and homemade and almost intrusive in the way that the camera right. is following characters through something that is happening. It felt like maybe they did not get their permits or whatever, you know, <laughs> and they're just like, we just got to get this. We have 20 minutes. That transition to me was not really earned. It was just, it was such abrupt an abrupt transition that it took me aback. I did not dislike it. 
I was just confused by well, it. It's jarring, right? Oh, I mean, it was it's, definitely jarring. It's it's one of those, and it's over. I mean, it, it's yeah, a quick it it's cuts. a quick ending. So mm-hmm. by the time you're like, wait, what is happening? Oh, credits! Like, yeah. And so then you're left with this. It's interesting. So to hear him talk about it, he he decided to switch perspectives. Mm-hmm. Um, the movie, you're right. Earlier, you said it's it's got a lot of moments that feel documentary, mm-hmm. documentary like documentarian is what I was going to say, but feels like a documentary. Mm-hmm. And part of that is these are actors we don't recognize, yeah. or, you know, situate, and just the way the the shots are staged and where the camera's placed and some of the. I don't want to say mistakes, but just some of the improv and some of the just like mm-hmm. stepping over people's lines that happen. I mean, just some of that realness. It has some of that feeling. Um, but this is such an abrupt shift. Mm-hmm. And his whole idea was to shift the perspective from the viewer to one of the characters. And so I went back again, the privilege of seeing things at home, but you, you go back and I was able to rewind and watch the last five minutes like mm-hmm. a couple of times because I was so thrown. <laughs> yeah. And I get it, but it's it's an interesting it's a decision that's really interesting to me because I'm with you in the sense that I don't think it's very until I read that that was what he was going for, it's not obvious that he's shifting perspective. It feels like something else completely jumps in from nowhere yeah. and you're left going, "Wait, why are we shifting movies over?" Because, I mean, I could see what he was talking about shifting perspective, but I would agree with that more if the perspective that we see at the end was not what we had already been seeing. If we were following yeah. a certain character a certain way in those adventures and those trials and tribulations, and then you switch to a different character in a different filmmaking style, sure, right. I, then that would make sense. But when you're following the same characters and then you have that tonal shift, right? you know, so it, it was... It was interesting. It was, it, was a, it was a bold choice and it was definitely, it was a definitive choice. Like this is not yeah. a, an accident. Like everything was planned out. Right. I said, I made the joke that it felt like they were just like, we just got to get this, you know, let me just bring up my <laughs> iPhone. Yeah. So I can understand. It was just, or he had one of those crazy director moments where he's like, this would be better on an iPhone. Yeah. And everybody's like, Oh no, Sean, not with the iPhone again. <laughs> right. He's like, trust me. Mm-hmm. Go. Yeah. No, it's yeah. No, so it, it's it, not it like that. planned. But yeah. it was just, it was abrupt. I think, so. I think the thing that I, I will take away from the Florida project is that it's insightful. Um, it's, it's moving, it's challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it illuminates a world that quite frankly exists a lot more than we want to acknowledge. Oh yeah. <laughs> there are, there are Moonies and, and Haley's and mm-hmm. Johnsies and all these other characters everywhere. Mm-hmm. And, Sadly, without getting too political, I think we live in a world that in some circles wants all of that to go away mm-hmm. and doesn't want to think about it anymore. And the problem with that is, is that we have more of this type of a society growing than we've ever had before. And you can't shun these stories or these characters or these people anymore. I mean, yeah. because it's a reality and it's more and more a reality. And so, you know, it might make people uncomfortable and it might not be their cup of tea and that's mm-hmm. fine. Um, but I think the Florida project is necessary and important and I'm happy it exists. Awesome. I'm going, I, I would guess your rating, but I would never want to assume what oh is your God. rating. This is a broken record. Are we six for six? We are. We're six for six or, and potentially, I mean, you just heard me talk about uh, the last Jedi, but uh, you know, well, am I six for six? Yes. If I say good, 
yeah. since uh, you were ahead in time and I don't <laughs> I heard some of what Tim said that crazy Tim oh, seriously. Um, good fine good all okay. of them all of them good excellent yeah same with me good <clears> film <throat> might not be one that I run back to but definitely good have we seen a bad movie lately uh yeah well yeah. I mean it depends on how recent you want to go but yeah. snowman <laughs> Snow, snowman he gave you all the clues jumped John. to the number two of the worst of the year yeah so dumb yeah so so dumb. i will say this i've not seen a i mean there have been movies i've been like mm, i've not seen a bad movie in a while the last so one, i'm due for one yeah the last one for me was definitely snowman like where it was just it and got I, an ugly it was just oh can my i gosh. you think i can catch up to that by the end of the year because i do have oh, yeah. to do a year at worst of the year yeah list. I, i'm sure you can i gotta find that somewhere i know it's probably well it's probably a theater somewhere. i, I know a guy who knows a guy nice uh nice <laughs> cool all right so just a quick recap so, Good Time, <laughs> I, Tanya, Lady Bird, The Post, Shape of Water, and The Florida Project all got goods. Uh, that All got goods. They all got goods. Uh, they all received goods. Uh, that sounds even more... No. Uh, whatever. They got the goods. Yeah, they got the goods. <laughs> uh, from Mike and I, you listened to... Uh, Tim and I talked about The Last Jedi. I do not want to spoil anything for Mike and tell him about my discussion. So, uh, we'll not go into that. Uh, Mike, what is coming up on on your calendar that you would like to tell the listeners about? Uh, so after I leave here, I'm going to go home, get some dinner, and then mm-hmm. uh, I'm yep. probably go to okay. bed. Yep. Outside gonna, of that. what I'll is- get up and I'll go to work. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. No. Um, it's so... The Seattle Film Critics Society phase one is is done. The nominations are out. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can find them uh, either through our Twitter at Seattle Critics or through our website, seattlefilmcritics.com. Voting is underway. Mm-hmm. So we have lots of people looking back and forth over these these 19 categories going, what do I pick? What do I pick? And mm-hmm. so those winners will come out Monday, December the 18th, 9 a.m. Awesome. on the Twitter. And so after that... Um, it's, it's like the holiday season mm-hmm. and I then move to, uh, in terms of the, the, should I see it stuff that I do on the website? Um, it's best of the year, worst of the year, best yep. performances. It's the end of the year wrap up. So nice. luckily through this process, I have less movies to catch up with than I normally do. Very true. Two weeks, last two weeks of the year. That's, that's kind of where it's at. And then, um, I guess I'll take a nap on January 1st. That sounds like a plan. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah, that's, that's uh, and on. so at should I see it uh, on the social media and also Seattle film critics, definitely follow both of those to keep up with Mike and all of his things. Yeah. And the website, should I see dot it. Right. Exactly. Cool. Uh, as for this podcast, uh, this Friday, as you're listening to this, there will be an interview of a there will be an episode of About to Interview Yay. with Landry Q. Walker, uh, author of Justice League, The Ultimate Guide for DK. Uh, then next week's episode will be another one where we have to talk about a bunch of movies <laughs> that some we will have seen recently, <clears throat> some we saw a while ago that we now can talk about. Yeah. But there will be reviews for The Darkest Hour, or not The Darkest Hour, just Darkest Hour. Yeah. I was corrected by that. Yeah. Just Darkest uh, Hour. Darkest Hour, Molly's Game, Downsizing, a little bit more about The Last Jedi, and uh, The Greatest Showman with Hugh Jackman. So, hmm. yeah. So that will be Never next week's it. episode. <laughs> Should be good. <laughs> It'd uh, be great. 
So yeah, but you can find the podcast on all forms of social media, like I talked about, at About to Review. Make sure to subscribe, like, rate, and review on every podcast platform of your choice. Go to youtube.com slash about to review, about to review.threadless.com to pick up a bunch of merch, support the show. You can also go to about to review.com and click the support tab and pitch in a dollar. That would be tremendous. Uh, thank you for listening. Thank you, Mike, for being on and thank you. talking about a whole slate of movies. Yeah, yeah. Um, there are movies I don't like. I just don't want to, you know, but these were all great. Yeah. No, good. They, they, they were all good. They were all good. Yeah. Indeed. Yeah. Excellent. So for this episode of About to Review, I have been joined by... Uh, that would be Mike Ward. <laughs> and I have been your host, <laughs> that guy named John, and we will see you next time. <laughs> Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat.